0: come come, come. hello everybody and welcome to another episode of the talking comics podcast it's wednesday august 19th 2020 and you're listening to episode number 456 i am your host steve say i am back again talk about that in a minute joining me for this week's podcast is mr bob reyer Hey,
2: it's the 100th anniversary of the 19th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution.
3: Let's
0: celebrate. Whoa. Oh, about that? about that mm-hmm. democracy? How's that going? How's that going? Uh, Aaron Amos is here as well.
4: I got nothing. Move on. Oh, you got something.
0: <laughs> I know you got something. Uh, so, yeah, uh, Joey is out for this week, but he will be back next week because we have something very exciting going on next week that I'll talk about later. And, as an added bonus, as a special treat, we will be having David Peppos swinging through the podcast a little bit yeah. later. Yeah, to talk about the launch of uh, his new Kickstarter project for his creator-owned, The O.Z. Uh, basically, haunted by her past, a disillusioned Iraq war veteran must survive the war-torn land of Oz. So, yes, please. Uh, we'll have a, a little <laughs> little mini interview with David uh, later on in the show. Things might be a little wacky tonight because we are kind of hopping all over the place in terms of meeting up with David and recording partway into the show. So uh, the breaks for this episode might be a little weird, but uh, we're just gonna just gonna go with it because variety is the spice of life
4: these are wacky times
0: yes speaking of wacky times and speaking of life uh i am going to talk about mine for a moment i did not update my friends as to what has been going on with me since the last show uh i came back and then i needed another week off and it was for good reason uh so here's the thing i um there's a lot of people that listen to this show that don't Engage that might be, you know, might care about us or might worry about us or might be concerned about things that we have going on in our personal lives and stuff like that. So that's part of why I share these stories. Um, Second, it's nice to just get this stuff all out in the open and out of the way. And three, um, I have no problem talking about my medical history or what's going on. Obviously, it has been this way my entire life. I was born different and have been have open heart surgeries Crohn's disease the whole the whole menu um for my entire life. So uh I've been a guinea pig at Stony Brook Hospital for a lot of things and I just I don't have any problem putting this stuff out there. I think it's important for you guys to know what's going on. It's nothing super serious, but the last couple of months of my life in terms of the way that i've been feeling have not been great uh and it is all a very rich tapestry of what might have actually happened so i'm gonna give you like the louise from uh ant-man version of of what's been happening some of this stuff is going to be repeated just bear with me it's it's a whole thing anyway here goes So as you may or may not know, back in March, I got sick. Uh, That was right when COVID was starting. It was very uh, much in New York, and I had gone to my stepbrother's wedding. I was only there for about an hour and a half, but we did go the day before to the rehearsal dinner, and that was a couple of hours long. So I was exposed to, you know, a fair amount of people, even though we did try to keep our distance and do the whole thing and sanitizer and whatnot. Anyway, um so I came back home and I got sick and when I got sick I had two episodes of what it turned out to be is atrial fibrillation. Um basically my heart started racing at over 200 beats and and things were were bad. I couldn't see. I was disoriented. I couldn't breathe the whole bit. Uh but those two times I had managed to kind of calm myself out of it, just sit and breathe and somehow managed to get myself back into rhythm fast forward to a couple weeks ago i went into atrial fibrillation again but this time it didn't stop and i had to go to the emergency room and they had to do like four different things before they didn't work they ended up giving me medication sent me home brought me back the next day put the shock pads on my chest and then shocked me twice to get it back into rhythm getting shocked this way is pretty much the equivalent to getting kicked in the chest by a horse. So I did not feel great, uh, to begin with. And then you add that to it. And and I was just out, out of work for two, for two weeks, the whole bit. And, uh, so this past week I went to go and see my cardiologist finally, who was on vacation while all this was going on. And we did a whole bunch of tests in the morning, echocardiogram, x-rays, blood tests, blah, 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 blah. Anyway. The first thing that he says when he walks into the room is he goes, I can guarantee you that even though your tests came back the way they came back, my first test for COVID came back as indeterminate. And that was back in March. Uh, And then I got tested again and it came back as negative. So the first thing he says to me is he goes, I can almost guarantee you that you had COVID and this is a result of having COVID. If you get COVID, mm-hmm. COVID has a, it latches onto your organs, particularly your your heart. And so cardiac, cardiology and cardiac patients are high risk for this thing. And so these past couple of weeks when I got sick, I mean, I was so sick and I've been sick for a lot of my life. This was different. This felt like walking death. And so it's been determined that I had COVID and that the COVID is was the trigger for the atrial fibrillation because all the tests that we did looked at my surgery and all the all the scar tissue and all the surviving stuff everything is intact everything is fine everything looks great so this is now an electrical issue not a a muscle issue which is good news uh but it also means that I have to have you know, continued care, continued to monitor all my things. I'm doing my blood pressure every day. I'm on new medications that I'm trying back and forth. And I finally landed on one that agrees with me. And I am going to be planning a day trip into Toronto to go and see a rhythm specialist in the coming weeks once they call me back. So, uh, 99.9% that I had COVID and all this stuff has been a result of the, the fallout from that. So yeah, it's based on a lot of factors. I don't want to get into all of those cause we'll be here all day, but uh, yeah. So that's pretty much where I, uh, where I stand right now, but I am feeling better on the new medication. Um, I don't feel like every night that I go to bed, uh, that is going to be my last. So that's nice. It's a nice little change of pace. And uh, it's nice not to be scaring the shit out of my wife every day, who has been just incredible through through all of this stuff. How she has the calm and the patience to deal with all of this, I do not know. I would not be as graceful uh, if she were to be in a terrible position. Uh, so, yeah. So, mm-hmm. great way to start the show, right? <laughs> yeah. Hey, you're, you're feeling better? You have...
2: Medication, and you have strategies that deep breathing and relaxing. That's important stuff to keep in mind too. Yep. Because obviously, any stress you have is going to exacerbate the problem. So exactly,
0: totally. Yeah, we are yeah. Uh, we are doing nightly yoga. We do about uh, a half hour to ten minutes of yoga each night, and uh, I've now gotten on the treadmill, and I try to walk at least a kilometer every day. Uh, so I just throw on The Simpsons on uh, Disney Plus and go through like an episode and a half, and that's how I know that I'm done. And, uh, yeah, yeah, you know, I still have, I still have moments, uh, last night kind of sucked, but, uh, you know, it's, it's way better than it was a few weeks ago, because I seriously thought that my heart was just going to stop, and, uh, it was not a great feeling, and, you know, it's not, it's not just me anymore, you know, it's, it's, it's myself, and it's Bronwyn, and it's our life together, and I just... I need to do what I need to do to get better, so that she doesn't have to worry, and that I can be around for her. Um, because uh, look, luckily, you're in Canada now. Oh yeah. Oh my God. The the, the healthcare system here. I mean, it, it might not work no. out for some people, but I seem to be a priority case no matter where I go, and they have been just amazing. I love my cardiologist. I love the people down at the ER that I've seen too many times. Um, Oh, that was the other thing. Last Sunday, I ended up going to the ER again uh, at five o'clock in the morning. So that was why that Tuesday that we recorded. That's why I wasn't on the show because I was I was dealing with that. Um,
2: What you want to do, you see all these doctors, keep seeing doctors. Everyone will have a slightly different opinion. You want to make sure before the surgical intervention of any kind, you want to try every kind of medication you can first, unless it's really dire. I had a friend of mine, she worked in a cardiac cath lab for years and it's always about, you know, sometimes people have these operations and they're successful but they don't really solve the problem and then you're right back where you start from and you had an operation and then have to have another one. So, right. Pills, b- pills before knives is all I'm saying.
0: Yeah. but well, luckily, everything looks good. Everything's intact. Uh, you know, I had a very experimental yeah. procedure back in 1981 When they were not doing, you know, mustard procedures and transposition of the grade vessels and then reversing them and all of that stuff. And a lot of people died from from those surgeries. And I I managed to get out and uh, was not supposed to really live past the age of 16. I'm going to be 40 in January. So who's laughing now?
4: (laughs) okay, anyway, <laughs> anyway, um all, like you said all that matters is that you're you know here to tell the story now and you're not still you know laid up in a fetal position somewhere sick, so you know, right. yeah, every day is a new day, yeah, yeah,
0: it's uh anyway, um I think I've talked to my, about myself enough um again, thank you to to everybody who's who's reached out and uh I do appreciate it so so much if I haven't gotten back to all of you. Or any of you, I apologize. I just, I've been exhausted by all of this stuff, and 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 there are some people that have reached out that I've just been like, I can't. Like, it's going to have to be a phone call because I can't sit here on my phone and tippity type the the whole thing out to you. It's just, it's just too much. So, uh, we're here to talk about comics, believe it or not, and uh, I think we have time for some lightning rounds. <laughs> Wow, I actually read a lot of your guys' books this week. This is gonna be this is gonna be beefy. 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 Uh shout out to little Nikki Dog. Alright, um <laughs> Bob. Why don't you go first? Sure, I'll say when. Alright. I'm gonna put five minutes on the clock for you. And
2: go. Leading off, I was hoping for a nice bump upwards uh, for Wonder Woman number 760 by Mariko Tamaki, Mikhail Yanin, and Jordi Belair. But to me, it was merely much the same as the previous issue. There were some really lovely little Wonder Woman moments, but they were few and far between, trapped in a rather boilerplate superhero story. I've loved Ms. Tamaki's work to date, so I'm hanging in, but I'm concerned this is eventually not going to be for me. Adventure Man by Matt Fraction, Terry and Rachel Dodson, and Clayton Cowles is just a delight for this fan of pulp magazines and movie serials. And issue number three went even further uncovering some new angles that just had me smiling ear to ear. Our lead, Claire Connell, finds that her real-world situation is changing in ways similar to what's occurred in the perhaps alternate reality of the Adventure Man novels. I know at quick glance this series might seem to be for a specific audience, old-timers like me, but Matt Fraction's clever dialogue and sharp characterizations combined with the stunning artwork of Tara and Rachel Dodson to create a world where retro stylings are really for a modern audience, and uh, it, it fills this really diverse modern story in a way that reminds me, I don't know, everyone remember when Ford relaunched the T-Bird and the Mustang to have them look like they did back in the old 50s and 60s? I That's so. what this book strikes me as. Yeah, I'm, I'm right on board with this. Captain Marvel 19 by Kelly Thompson, Corey Smith, Adrienne DiBenedetto, Tamara Bonvillon, and Clayton Cowles is, of course, a da, 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 empire tie-in. <laughs> However, just as last issue, Ms. Thompson's story reads perfectly fine on its own as a mystery wrapped within the cosmic shenanigans for the side of fish-out-of-water comedy. I know, I know that sounds convoluted, so here's a quick rundown. Carol's And everyone else is still coming to grips with her new role as accuser, particularly as she's allowed the accused, her Cree half-sister Lori L, to escape punishment for a massacre that she may or may not have committed, at least until Carol figures this out. Meanwhile, Lori L is back on Earth at Carol's apartment, hanging with Chewie, at least until a a Katati incursion interrupts their food run. Lots of fun front to back, though still with the weight of consequences present. So it gave me that sort of Hitchcock feeling where he would layer within really dark moments, even films like Psycho, with, l- with really guilty laughs. And with Ms. Thompson's final pages here, you're not going to spoil this from this point, it's just a perfect example of what that's going to be about. Hmm. And quickly, so as not to spoil this either, uh, the Stargirl series wrapped in just a rip-roaring finale that featured all the heroism, heart, and humanity this series has shown from moment one. Everyone gets a turn in the spotlight during an epic battle with the Injustice Society of America, including, I'm sorry, Joe, you're not here, Solomon Grundy. Oh.
0: <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. I on a look, Monday.
2: Yeah, I thought the performances throughout were, were quite special here, particularly Amy Smart, Patrick Wilson, Yvette Monreal, and most certainly Brett Basinger as Courtney. Some nice teasers for next season that might or might not tie into James Robinson's Starman run. So they've already got my, my – Dollars. I'm in.
0: Ooh, That's okay. it for me. Lovely. Lovely, lovely. You had a minute
2: and forty seconds left. That's how we do things around here.
0: That's how you do things around here. Okay.
4: Exactly. No, nothing I'm but, Aaron, big...
0: but you, you are just as guilty as I am, Aaron.
4: <laughs> I was just gonna say I'm taking a big tall glass of shut the hell up.
0: today. I love it. Like, especially the episodes that I haven't been on and I'm listening to the show, and I'm like, man, like Aaron just doesn't give an F about the clock. He just goes.
4: I just don't. I just don't. I'm like, all right, well let me let And let I me. end up
0: turning him off because I feel I feel like a dick like holding the thing up to the phone We'll wrap it up. So No,
4: I'm I'm going to maintain today. I'm going to maintain.
0: We'll see. Sure. We'll see. All right, don't, well, don't well, let me talk promises. to you about Wonder Woman though. Yeah, okay. what do you think of Wonder Woman? <sighs>
4: oh, all right. Right. Starting with All right, so, so here's the thing. I have struggled with a theme. I've said this in an email to everyone, so no one This is going to shock anyone. But I have struggled with a theme that seems to be passed around over at DC for a while now. And it is, let's find the reason why our heroes are to blame for everyone else's problems or why our heroes are to become the enemies. And it happened multiple times with Batman, uh, where Even in detective comics, it was all Batman's fault that everyone chose to go down this path. And then, you know, then we go through this examination of his psyche and what relationships, how his relationships with others have been impacted. It's always, and then we did this thing with Superman where it's like, all right, well, what's going on with Superman? Well, we made, we gave him this son, we created this great dynamic, and now let's send this son. All these weird things that these keep happening, all these reasons to sort of not like our, our heroes. And so now we're doing it with Wonder Woman. Again, we did it with her and 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 being blamed by Cheetah for everything that went wrong in her life. We just did it with whatever her name is, Patty Vaughn, Who cares? And then we're doing it now with you know her. Well, I know it's Max Lord, and I know we're doing a nod to the whole her snapping his neck all those years. I get it, I get it. But can we just tell a Wonder Woman story? where she gets to be Wonder Woman and she doesn't have to be defending herself. She just left Boston after moving in and being tracked around all over the place. Let's figure out how to write our characters as heroes. Let that happen for a while. I'm okay with examining them. Don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm not saying I want them to be these sort of monoliths of heroes. That's not what I'm saying. But we got to get out of this thing of having these heroes justify themselves Every arc. Yeah. And, you know, it's can we just let them be heroes for a while so that we, it has more impact when they do something wrong. But if every story is someone examining all the things that they've done wrong or all the ways that they have ruined their lives, then I'm out. I because I, I want to tune in. That's why I dropped Batman because I wanted to tune in to see Batman be Batman. Sometimes I'm perfectly fine with examining the other areas of his kind of personality, but can we just be Batman?
2: Here's here's a quote from, well, Stan Lee, so why not? He always spoke about the Marvel characters being heroes with flaws, but not flawed heroes. And if you drift into this self-examination over and over and over again, they're on that flawed hero side of it, and it becomes harder and harder to get back to that moment. You You need someone then to take the reins of it and do this. Now, you know, as I mentioned when I was reading this, reading this while in the midst of rereading Gail Simone's Wonder Woman didn't help this book at all. Yeah, yeah. It it came up pretty badly in comparison.
4: It's just, I mean, I'm not trying to crap on her work. Don't get me wrong. First
2: no, I of all, like her work. I just don't like this work so far.
4: Okay. First of all, the art is stunning. I just, I, I love... He's, le- he's leaving, though, so don't get ex- too attached. You couldn't let me have that moment, could you? You just no, I couldn't have, let me have... No. I'm <laughs>
2: because I, because like, it, it, the art is gorgeous, but there's also a, a full-page spread of Wonder Woman screaming with wild eyes, yes. you die!
4: Yes, that oh was God. problematic. That's that was right. problematic.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I don't care what's going on, you die... It, it's it's right up there with vegetative injustice. I'm saying,
4: and it's just uh, so now it's the reason why it bothers me is because now I realize that I'm going to, you know, we're gonna get seven sixty one and it's gonna be, you know, Wonder Woman the accused or whatever, you know, and then it's gonna be having to clear her name and all, and I just don't, I, I just don't care anymore because I, it, if I hadn't just read this story six times with all the other heroes maybe I would be fine. I, I, even when I was reading Green Arrow, it was the same thing. You know, when, when Green Arrow was coming out, and I'm, it, I'm just, can we, are we just passing this memo from person to person? Can we just crap on all of our heroes and then figure out what to do next and then pass it on to the next person, and let them crap on the heroes. Somebody hit reply all to the email. <laughs> that day. Yeah. Exactly. It's like, I just want to see a hero. That's all. Anyway, I'm sorry.
0: No, no, no. Don't be sorry. It's, Perfectly okay to rage against the machine. Um, oh. Don't
4: don't you uh, me that was gold. No 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 no. <laughs> I'm, I was still going back at the Wonder Woman. I was still in that moment.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I've read it too, and I have to admit that it's been a little bit of a rocky start. Uh, I'm I love the artwork a whole lot, uh, and I've kind of been entertained and mesmerized by that throughout the the issues. But man, when I was reading it. I, I, I always think of Bob when I think of Wonder Woman <laughs> and I'm sitting there and I got to like – there were two points in the book where I was just like, whoa, Bob's not going to like that. <laughs> and so I – I, go ahead. Go ahead.
4: I'll go, I think of Bob and Carolyn and I'm just like, oof. Yeah, Someone like stable I, someone's I, stable's going to flip.
0: I got to those pages and I was like, "Oh man!" And I'm like, "This is the thing. Like, this is the very thing that puts the the thorn in the lion's paw for for some of my friends. Like, this this is not great." Um. And but here's the thing: I I am a I'm a big fan of Marika Tamaki's, and I am I'm going to hang in at least for the arc to see where the story goes and and mm-hmm. things like that. I don't like to assume that it's just going to be something that i don't want to read um i'm not at that point yet if like if the art was terrible um if i felt like the tone was way off in in so many more regards than this like so far it's just it's little twinges of like uh, i see what you're doing but maybe you can turn it around we haven't gone beyond thunderdome yet um I had a couple of books that I've actually been reading while I've been away from the show that, um, that I've dropped because there were just, there were immediate things in those issues. And I was just like, nope, this is not something that I'm going to be giving my money to. And then, um, Wonder Woman is not anywhere near that, uh, that side of the board just yet. But, um, but yeah, it's been, it's been interesting. It's been rough.
2: We'll yeah. see where this goes.
0: Yeah, also, I mean, I, I think there are some redeeming aspects to, to what we're getting. I just am wondering where those other pieces are going to fall into place.
4: Yeah, I'm really hoping that this is a scenario where, you know, it's three issues from now, and I'm eating crow, and I'm like, oh, okay, I see what you're doing. I, I really would want that to be the case. I wouldn't want to be 100% wrong. So... Um, yeah, I
2: okay. Yeah, I thought that with... She-Hulk and for me that didn't work there either. She's so Mr. Tamaki who is sort of one for two on su- on mainstream superheroes. Her mm-hmm. being Super Supergirl mini with Joel Jones was brilliant. Absolutely wonderful. Mm-hmm. She-Hulk left me very cold. Even when we got to baking cakes, it didn't really matter by then.
0: Yeah, I would be curious to read that again uh, after hearing Joey speak so highly of it when he revisited it. And, uh, I mean, I'm the king of – if you want to talk about eating crow, uh, I am certainly the master chef of crow on this podcast. Mm -hmm. I turn around on books all the time. Uh, I'm about to do it right now with Adventure Man. Ah, I blew pretty cold on Adventure Man the first time that I'd read it, uh, however many weeks or months ago. And then I continued to buy the issues because I I didn't want to just do a one and done kind of thing. And I said, I'm going to go back. I'm I'm really in the mood for this kind of thing. I read um, The Fearsome Dr. Fang from TKO, uh, all six issues of that. So it it already put me in that like pulpy state of mind. Mm -hmm. And I said, let me give this another go. Let me try this out. And I got to tell you, having those three issues and even that first issue again, I love this series.
3: <laughs>
0: I, do. <laughs> I do. I'm totally on board now. I I I I don't know what happened. I never know what, what happens when I, I walk away from something being like, meh, nah, whatever. I'll have my opinion on the show and it's going to suck, but whatever. This is the way I feel. And then I go back and I read certain things again, and it just, all the pieces fall into place. I see what they're trying to do. The setup of the world lands better for me. The rhythm of Fraction's uh, writing and the, and the voices of his characters sits better uh, in my brain. And I just, he wasn't able to bring me there the first on the first read. But in rereading it, I really felt transported into this story and i love the way that it's progressing i still think it's a little confusing for me at times in terms of like what is reality and what isn't and 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 what are the rules and that sort of thing but that's just me maybe not letting go entirely and giving into the fantasy of it all so yeah i think we're learning the rules as we go yeah, yeah. In in a very real way. So
2: don't worry about it. Just oh, go God. with the flow. And the
0: artwork, oh, the artwork on, on that series is to die for. I, I pretty- said this before. I'll say it now.
2: I think it's their best work. Ah, oh,
0: what is um, what is the the Phantom's name? The 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 woman who's a ghost, like the Phantom of the Burlesque or something. Yeah, mm-hmm. something she, like that. Yeah, uh, I love her. I love the way she's all faded out, and even her word bubbles are kind of muted. And it's it's just it's great. The artwork is off the wall for that when you see some of that like more magic oriented celestial god stuff that was those last few
2: pages with the beast god of the ultra void yeah yeah
0: like that was one of those moments where you're reading along you're reading along and this is pretty and this is fun and this is cool and then you turn the page and you're like oh holy crap where did that come from that's awesome like that that's the kind of book that this has been for me on my second go around with it, and I, I, am like, I'm all the way there with you, Bob. I can't wait to read the fourth issue. I'm really nice. on board with this now.
3: Nice.
0: Yeah, Robert, I read. And hung in.
4: Go ahead. Yeah, Eric. I read two and three together. I have to be honest. I, I, am glad I read them together. Um, because two, I wouldn't say two left me cold. It didn't leave me cold at all. It was, it was good. But three got me excited because it, it seems like there was just so much that happened in three that sort of was a, a mini payoff, if you want to call it that. So, I, yeah, I'm on board.
0: Sweet. Nice. Thank you. Very cool. And um yeah, all I've got to say about Captain Marvel nineteen, I read eighteen and nineteen, back to back. Awesome. And I'm yeah, like I'm I'm digging it. Like I'm digging I'm digging the new character, I'm digging the, the tie in aspect of it, all the accuser stuff is pretty cool. And I won't spoil anything, but man, the last like couple of panels of issue number nineteen and the way that they end it. Yeah. What like with all the characters being there? That's all. Say, I was just like I could I could hear the shredding of the guitar, and the the horns being raised and the pyres being lit. Just to be like, oh man, like it is on. It is time to go, and I'm super excited uh, about it. It's funny. I kind of agreed with Carolyn. I was a little lukewarm on issue 17. And I was wondering if it was just me. And then uh, I kind of heard some of my thoughts echoed through uh, her conversation with you guys. Mm-hmm. And so I went into 18 and I was like, oh, come on. Like, bring me back. Bring me back. And it just it hit all the notes for me. And, and you know, not that I was ever in doubt. But, I mean, just Kelly Thompson is such a such a tremendous talent. And, and she's got such an incredible handle on that character and is, is doing really interesting and different stuff with her. And, and it's, I think it's been a lot of fun. Amen. Yeah. Uh, I would like to watch star girl once it is collected and out or on a channel that I can access. Yeah. Um, And I go ahead, Bob. No, you'll love it. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm really genuinely looking forward to it. And uh, there is a chance. I'm going to see if I can find a good price on it. But uh, I believe the first season of Batwoman hit uh, DVD and Blu-ray t- uh, Tuesday of I this I believe week. so, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I'm uh, I'm going to make my way out and see if I can't pick up a copy of that for myself. That's maybe something that I could watch in the morning uh, before work if Bronwyn's not into it. So, uh, yeah, that's my plan with the uh, the old... Star Girl and Batwoman.
4: Yeah, I watched seven episodes of Star Girl. Do you dig it? I, I'll push through the remainder. Oh, um, I will. No, here's here's the thing. Don't get me wrong. So here, you know, I was able to sort of think about it and give it some thought. I was texting with Carolyn when I was reading it, when I was watching it. Um, I do like the show. I, I really do like this show. Um, I think. I love how with each one of these CW type shows they go more and more superhero-y and become less and less I always call it like the you know original X-Men effect where they didn't want to have them in the costumes, they didn't want to have them in the you know, the things that were recognizable about them. So I love that they are going full steam ahead with that. I am I think I'm sort of having a relapse of the same experience I had with Buffy, which a show which I ended up absolutely loving. Um, I wasn't, I was kind of lukewarm about season one because there was a lot of that getting to know and understand these characters and for them to do something that really mattered. Um, and I kind of feel like I'm there, you know, with this show, but I can see where it will grow into, grow on me the same way. So, um, so I didn't want to give the impression that I, I hated the show What the thing I was sort of, Going back and forth with Carolyn about, and, and I recognize that this is a treat that she shares in the book as well. So, um, Courtney just gets on my nerves sometimes. But I said this before, you know, she's a yeah. teenager, being a teenager, and I think she's supposed to get on your nerves. Um, yeah. the whole, actually, all of them do some really
2: dopey teenage type things. Yeah. Which is refreshing for me on a in a movie or a television show at this point. So We're yeah. Teenagers are not miniature adults. They're teenagers. They have their own things going on.
4: Exactly. That's a very good point. Was, yeah. So yeah, I didn't want to give the impression by my side that I I was like groaning because I didn't like the show. I was just recognizing that it it's some, I have to get through the paces of where I think it's going. Uh, some people sort of thrive on that, you know, sort of ramp up time. I sort of, I'm always the guy that's like, all right, can we just get to the part where they're really cool? Um, and even when I, you know, it's the same thing when I, you know, watch Buffy, uh, if you, I s- skip through that first season. Cause I'm like, all right, let's just get to the point where she's kicking everyone's ass.
0: Got to learn those <laughs> lessons, man. You got to do the training montage.
4: I guess. Um, but no, I, I'm going to, I'm going to finish it. I'm going to figure I'll be honest with you. It's, I haven't really gotten through a, a CW show in a while. So I've gotten farther with Stargirl than I have with the flash. And I actually like the first <laughs> season of the flash. Um, but then I was just like, all right, what's going I, on here? Yeah, I did,
2: too. In 1989, was John Wesley Shipp. Ooh, the <laughs> shame Yeah, that's oh. when I liked The Flash.
0: The Flash did a mighty good King Shark. Remember that episode? I do. He looked amazing. Do. He looked so good. I was so impressed by that.
4: So, and again, not that I don't like it, but, you know, I don't know. You hate it. Just, it. Goes, it just goes, yeah, I hate it. I really do. <laughs> You can't fool me. I was trying to be diplomatic. I hate everything about it. No, I'm
0: kidding. <laughs> uh, Yeah, I'm looking forward to checking it out when I can. Uh, we don't have, we don't have cable anymore. So unless I want to pay for yet another streaming service, I, uh, I'm going to have to wait until oh. it uh, comes onto a little disc full of information. I'm going
4: to need you to get a VPN, sir.
0: Uh, I have a VPN, Aaron, but, uh, I'm not yeah. saying anything more. Yeah. That's a whole other thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. All right. So listen, I think we're actually going to take a little break because it is almost time for David to knock on our proverbial door and, uh, Let's break into the
2: Mr. Rogers theme.
0: <laughs> <laughs> what was that? Uh, won't you be my neighbor?
2: Yeah.
0: Man, his puppets were so scary. They <laughs> were, they were freaky. The the king and the lion and everything. was there? It was a lion, right?
4: Oh, Steve's been triggered. Oh
0: yeah. no, they had like the weirdest like their arms just kind of like their hands just kind of clapped. That was the only motion that they could make.
2: They're Charlie would come Judy. out. They're, they're Punch and Judy style puppets, you know, it's just little.
0: Yeah.
4: yeah. Am I the only person I remember remembers Wayland Flowers and Madam? No, I remember. I, I, it was very popular
2: on the various chat shows and game shows like Hollywood Squares and such as that.
4: Absolutely. Her show was hysterical. I'm sorry. Where are we going with this? I'm, and <laughs> we're going on a
3: break is what we're, we're going on. <laughs> right.
0: All right. So, uh, yeah, we're going to take a little break. There'll be uh, maybe some music. And when we come back, we will have David Pepos on the show to talk about his new Kickstarter for the OZ Uh, Hang in and we'll be right back. Everybody. we are back from our break, and have been joined by—is it Ringo Award nominee? Yep, David yep. Pepos.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so uh, much for having me.
0: Oh, you're very, very welcome, David. It's—it's uh, it's nice to have you back. It's been a while.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think we—we we, I think we have not spoken since my last book, Going to the Chapel, came out. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm really excited to talk about my new project on Kickstarter.
0: Absolutely. Uh, so just newly launched Kickstarter campaign uh, for his upcoming fantasy comics project, The OZ.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, I already welcomed you back to the show so we can skip that part. Uh, but I will again tell you about how happy we are that you could join us.
1: Oh, yeah. No, this is, uh, uh, you know, this means the world. Um, I'm I'm really stoked um, uh, about this project. I have been working on this actually since the uh, my first book came out. Uh, Spencer and Locke, and for those who don't know what the O.Z. is, it's what if Mad Max and the Hurt Locker took place in The Wizard of Oz. There
3: you Uh, go.
2: There's an elevator pitch for you. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It uh, it reimagines Dorothy Gale's killing of the Wicked Witch as something like a botched regime change. And so when Dorothy clicked her heels and returned home to Kansas, she unwittingly left Oz in this horrific power vacuum that (laughs) sparked Years of brutal civil war. <laughs> so uh, our our story kicks off a generation later with uh, Dorothy's granddaughter and namesake, uh, who's a, 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 an Iraq war veteran. She's come home with some scars and, and, and trauma of her own. And one night she's uh, uh, caught up in a tornado and she's dropped into this uh, into the war torn land of Oz. And so she's going to have to confront her past and her grandmother's former friends if she hopes to survive the Occupied Zone, or as the locals call it, the O.Z. Damn, dude. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, if you if you like Mad Max, if you like The Old Guard, if you like Fables, um, you're going to love this book. Um, if you like my previous work on Spencer and Locke, uh, you're going to love this book. Um, I think it's one of the best things I've ever written, and it's certainly one of the most beautiful books I've ever worked on. And uh, I'm just so... Uh, it's, I'm so encouraged and so heartened to see that just in our first, um, 48 hours that, uh, people have really, uh, responded to what we're doing with this book.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you want to talk about a response
1: you met your goal with, and I think it was two hours, two hours. We were funded within two hours. Um, now as, as, as of this moment, we are 360% funded. Um, but I, I, I want to encourage people keep backing because we've got some amazing, uh, rewards in store, uh, for, for, for people that we, uh, we have not unveiled yet. We'll probably be unveiling that tomorrow. Um, but yeah, it's just, uh, you know, I feel like we're the little indie that could, um, and you know, I, I owe that to every, every reader, every press outlet, every creator who has, you know, all come together to kind of lift us up. Um, I think that's been kind of the biggest lesson that I've taken from this Kickstarter is as a creator, you the, the, the people that you trust most are your fellow creators. And if you guys can all kind of, if we can collaborate and lift each other up, that means big things for all of us.
0: So one of my first questions to you uh, is kind of related to this. What was yeah. it like to see readers and, and like you said, creators and outlets responding like reacting so positively to the campaign, what was what was that feeling like? What was going through your you know, mind yesterday or Monday when you yeah. said like you saw this taking off like wildfire right out of the gate? Yeah,
1: I mean, I like I said, I, I woke up at five forty five that morning. I was I, for a launch that was supposed to be at night. Um, I was really nervous. You know, I, we had we had uh, given some exclusives to some press outlets, but having worked on both sides of of the press spectrum, you know, sometimes people, you know. You never know what's gonna go on with an outlet, so you never know who's who might go a little early. And so uh I'm glad I did because we did have some early coverage uh break and uh that was a good thing, I think. You know, it, it, it gave us more time during the day uh for people to discover us. But I, I was so nervous the night before, you know, I, I, uh, I remember I, my girlfriend had to look up some, some information about Kickstarter because I had convinced myself that I, I, something was going to glitch the moment I tried to launch it. Um, I didn't trust the button that said prepare to launch. I said, Oh, are they going to, are they going to make me, you know, are they going to reevaluate my project again? Am I going to miss my launch yeah. time? Yeah. Uh, and my poor girlfriend looked it up and she's like no they're just going to have a check mark saying are you sure your project's good and then they're going to tell you you can launch and I was just like why do they do that that's silly just let me hit the button um, <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah seeing the way that people responded to it I mean look the OZ like all of my projects so far um, you know I think they're really cool I, I, The Marge Simpson moment I think they're real neat um, that, <laughs> I, you know but I, I pitched them and I think uh, publishers, they don't. Sometimes they might be a little too risky for them. Uh, you know, uh, Spencer and Locke was "What if Calvin and Hodge grew up in Sin City?" And uh, going to the chapel was "Die Hard meets Wedding Crashers." So I get, like, you know, my ideas sometimes come a little out of left field. But um, I've believed in the OZ for years. Um, I, uh, you know, and we've pitched it. We've pitched it to places, and they've all been excited. But and this is kind of endemic to just the, the traditional publishing pipeline they move at like a snail's pace um, mm-hmm. you know there was one publisher that was telling us that they loved the OZ a year ago and there was no real forward movement um, and uh, so you know I had told Ruben our artist the moment I saw his cover which is the same main cover that you guys are all seeing right now on the Kickstarter you know he had done six sample pages and a cover for me and I said keep going and I said, come hell or high water, I'm going to get this book made because the idea of a comics industry that doesn't know who Ruben Rojas is is criminal to me. Um, he's like if Sean Murphy and Dan Mora had a baby. Um, <laughs> he's he's He is terrific. He's uh, an, ex- an exceptional uh, uh, composer when it comes to his panels, but he's also one of the most gifted designers I've ever worked with. And so um, – seeing him and the magic that he and whitney colorist whitney kogar put together i was like this book is magic and i'm gonna make it happen and so the way i kind of wound up at kickstarter was i'd been thinking about kickstarter for a long time as a hypothetical Um, the idea of sort of building and diversifying my audience beyond the people that I, i i hit through the direct market or people beyond who i hit at cons um there are Kickstarter and crowdfunding is its own ecosystem. There are people who primarily buy their books there rather than anywhere else. So I've been thinking for a long time I wanted to do that, keep inviting more people to the table, keep building that wider consensus, um, really diversify where my readers are coming from. And um, and then, you know, when COVID struck, that was really what crystallized things for me. I said, oh, you know, I really want to do Kickstarter. And, oh, I have two standard-sized issues of the OZ done. Maybe I should solve one problem with another here, uh, and I, I think you know just based on the way that Kickstarter's responded, I think it was absolutely the right call. I feel like not only do do, do Ruben and I get to introduce ourselves to a brand new community, um, but we we uh, we get to bring our A game to it, and uh, and on top of that, it gives the OZ such such a wonderful home. And, um, you know, and just, you know, a great platform to to build what I think is a really cool story. Um, So, yeah, you know, it feels uh, unbelievable. I I still feel like the simulation is glitching in a big way.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's amazing. Congratulations, man. I'm really happy for you and your team. That's fantastic. Yeah. were you were you constantly refreshing the screen throughout the day? Um, I'm still that...
1: refreshing my screen. Um, <laughs> yes, uh, yes. I, I uh, you know, a buddy of mine, Zach Quaintance, who um, he has a, a book on Kickstarter called Next Door, which if you haven't backed it, you should back that after you back the OZ. Um, <laughs> you know, he he uh, he also uh, writes for uh, the Comics Beat, and uh, he was telling me when I reached out to him if we could do an interview. He's like, oh, I'm actually launching one the week before you. And he told me, he goes, you're going to be clicking that refresh button all the time. The first day is going to be like a whirlwind. And he was right. It was – listen, I've had book release dates when I had come from the hospital with a kidney stone. And it was not nearly as exhausting as my first day on Kickstarter (laughs) in the best possible way. But I felt like I ran a marathon. I mean from 545 until 11 o'clock at night. I was doing work in some capacity for the Kickstarter. Right. Um, You know, and and uh, but is, you know, (laughs) my grandfather always used to say um, nothing, nothing worth doing is easy. And that's how I feel about my comics career. Um, You know, this is the best and most fulfilling job I've ever had. And it's also the hardest thing I've ever done. Um, But, you know, days like yesterday uh, reminds reminds you why it's all worth it
0: yeah man it's nice that a platform like kickstarter exists in that you can crowd fund these you know ideas and these stories and passion projects that you have and stuff like that and to see you know either existing fans or people that are just attracted to the idea come yeah. and and back you with their wallets and say you know we believe in this project and we want to see it
3: um,
1: yeah that's
0: that's got to be an incredible feeling
1: it's oh it's huge i mean like i i uh yeah, because I, you know, and and maybe you guys have experienced this as, as as well. This is how I feel. I've always felt this way as first as a comics journalist and then as a comics creator. There's always sort of that feeling of like, is this thing on? Like, are they are, is, are they hearing it? Like, is this responding? Um, now, you know, we've got twenty one thousand reasons why they've of people listening. Um, you know, it's uh, it's incredible, and I I feel like. It's very empowering for me as a creator. I felt like I knew a whole, I, 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 I felt like I knew something about writing. Uh, you know, I practice. Um, <laughs> I felt like I knew something about uh, the sort of project management side, uh, because when you're in the Indies, you don't usually work with editors. You're hurting you're all the cats and you're approving artwork and you're giving notes and you're figuring, you're staffing the book and you're financing the book. And I've, figured out my own publicity based on – I used to work in publicity at, uh, at CBS in New York and for my time at Newsarama. Um, but I didn't know anything about, like, how do you print a book? I didn't know anything about, uh, you know, how do you ship books? And I the fact that I've been learning that with this Kickstarter, it's really kind of the missing piece of the puzzle. Because now, and again, I, I, I have nothing against traditional publishers. I'm working with some traditional publishers right now um, on some books that are going to be announced uh, uh, for, for next year. But um, it's nice to say, you know, I don't have to wait for permission to create anymore. Uh, I can do this. We can give something that's got extra value for our early adopters on Kickstarter and, you know, let the chips fall where they may. Um, you know, this is going to be the first book that like, I'm not, I I shouldn't say, I mean, it, most of my books, it's taken me a long time to recoup the cost that it took to make them. And so the fact that I can kind of wipe that slate clean on the first day, Hmm. um, that opens up a whole world of possibilities. Um, and, and it really gives me that sort of freedom to create as well as building that wider consensus that I was talking about because we've got 563 backers right now. I don't know how many of them knew my name. And the fact that now the next time I have a book, I can reach out and just say, hey, if you like the OZ, I got this new book that's coming out. Would love for you to check it out, whether it's on Kickstarter or the direct market. I think that's a really powerful tool. Um and so uh yeah, I think you know I think the success of this campaign, this is kinda be the beginning, and I think it's gonna snowball and pay dividends uh much further down the line.
0: Yeah, man, totally. Man, I'm so excited for you. Okay, I wanna <laughs> <Me too. laughs> I wanna get back to some of these questions super quick. Yeah, yeah. What um so you've already told us what the story is about, what the OZ is yeah. about, but is there an origin story like a particular story as to how you came up with the idea was there something that happened during your day that you were like wait a minute
1: (laughs) so um so when I this all comes back to Spencer and Locke um I wrote that first book I did not know if I was going to write another book after that because I kind of wanted to see how reaction was to that because when you do when Calvin and Hobbes grew up in Sin City um you either succeed or you fail but there's no way you do it quietly it that is loud Um, that is like just kicking the door in when you walk in. So, um, I was for sure, there was part of me that was like, they're going to run me out of the industry and I will never write a comic again. And if this is it, this is it. I'm glad that this is the book I wrote. Thankfully, people liked that book. So I got to stick around the industry. So I came up with three ideas. Um, one of them being Spencer and Locke 2, the second one being going to the chapel and the third one being the O.Z. So this is all the way back in 2017. And um, the way that the idea came to mind was I wanted to do something in a different genre. You know, I'd done crime and I'd done crime, romance, comedy, um, or as some people call them, rom-coms. <laughs> um, but uh, I wanted to do something in a, in a different vein. And I thought fantasy. Fantasy and sci-fi were two things I really wanted to do. I uh, I wound up focusing later on a sci-fi idea for uh, Grand Theft Astro, which we're still working on. Um, script's done. We're just finally getting our ducks in a row as far as the art is concerned. Um, but I thought, you know, what what could I do for fantasy? So I wrote down a bunch of names of fantasy books and, and properties and titles that really uh, stood out to me as a kid. Things like, you know, Lord of the Rings or Lloyd Alexander or Piers Anthony. Um, and I wrote... Wizard of Oz, just in this Google Doc. And as I saw it kind of staring in front of me, and I saw the cursor flashing by the word Oz. And I was like, huh, that's a short word, but it's really iconic. And um, could that be an acronym for something? And suddenly it kind of like hit me like a train. Like, you know, just, you can think of like the, the, the DMZ, the, de- right. the demilitarized zone. I just thought of the occupied zone. And the image just, like, hit me like a ton of bricks. It's basically what Ruben Rojas drew for our main cover. This idea of, like, this hulking tin man who's been blown up and rebuilt so many times that he's just, like, turned into this, like, towering war machine. Um, And Dorothy being recast as this, like, disillusioned, sullen soldier. Um, That was an image that I I couldn't get out of my head. And so... um, the idea really became infectious. Um, you know, I, I, I wrote a, a treatment for it. Um, and actually, I, I, I'll say, I, I had written a treatment for a publisher who I, I, I haven't worked with yet. Um, the, the pitch went all the way up the ladder and um, without naming names. It, our, our book came up against another fantasy book by a, a, a bigger creator. It was a longer run on the book. I understand why somebody with one book under his belt didn't get that gig. But the editor, and you know, who I won't name names, was really kind about it. I actually sent him an email last night. Um, and he, he was like, look, I'm sorry that this didn't work out. I ran it up the flagpole. I got overruled. This is a good book. You really should keep pursuing it. And that little bit of encouragement changed the game for me. Um I I was kind of like all right this book is going to get made. And so I didn't have artist Ruben Rojas attached at the time. Um but after sort of we got turned down with with, with the pitch, I said I'm going to make this book myself. I don't I don't care. Um and so I found Ruben on Twitter. Uh, he was answering a call for artists and like I said, Sean Murphy and Dan Moore's baby. I was just like, "Oh, well, mm-hmm. I, I don't know how this guy is a superstar. I'm, let's work together." And uh, as Ruben's art was coming in and he did he did that cover, which he did his own colors on that cover. So I saw exactly what that looked like. It was, I, I remember I was at Rose City Comic Con and I was sleeping on a friend's couch and that hit my inbox and I was just blown away. Um, I, uh, you know, I started bringing together more members of the team. Um, So uh, my friend Michael Mokio, who was an editor at Boom, he uh, now is an editor uh, at at Mad Cave. He was like, Whitney Kogar is amazing. I worked with her at Boom. She's terrific. Um, She was like the secret weapon. I mean, she took Ruben's already incredible artwork and just like knocked it clean out of the park. I was so blown away. As somebody who was very particular about colors, who has a lot of opinion about colors, I don't really have to give Whitney many notes. Um, She really kind of take when I said, what is the Mad Max version of Star Wars to her? She took that ball and ran with it. Um, And so uh, and yeah, and then, you know, Dave Hopkins, D.C. Hopkins, um, you know, terrific guy. Um, I met him at Denver Comic Con. He's like the most chill, gracious, laid back guy which is something that I desperately need. I need one of those people on, 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 on any team that I work with, because I am not any of those things. Um, he's kind of the center of calm for, for, the, for the whole book. He's such a, an amazingly gracious team player that, um, yeah, it's like I knew I had my team. I kind of had my my, my my army of four. Hmm. And, um, and yeah, they, they've been just making magic ever since.
0: Damn, dude, you're, you're hitting all the notes all yeah. my questions that I got. We're cruising through this, and this is awesome.
1: So I let's try. see. Yeah, um, we're
2: big fans of Whitney Kogar around here from Giant Days. So and,
1: you know, yeah, it, 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 she is. Her, her work on Giant Days was terrific. This is something, and you can see it in the preview. We've got eleven pages up on our Kickstarter right now. This looks so different from what she's done, but it builds on on her incredible track record. And I feel like that's kind of what I wanted to do with this book for all of us: is that it looks, it's different than what we've written, but it builds upon our strengths,
0: right? Uh, so yeah, very very cool, man. Uh, Bob, do you want to jump in before
3: I yeah sure into mine? absolutely? Go
0: you know, ninety
2: eight percent of the American population, The Wizard of Oz is the nineteen thirty nine Victor Fleming movie, mm-hmm. despite the fact that there were eight versions of it before that one including the one with Oliver Hardy <laughs> silent movie yeah so um, I, i'm sure you hear people saying oh but i just love the wizard of oz and how do you do that differently i think so how do you yeah you, you do that pitch you know mm-hmm. the, the the elevator pitch sort of thing and i'll yeah. I'll tell an ele- elevator pitch story later but then how do you flesh that out in a way that in some way honors people's mm-hmm. memories and then yeah. blows them apart too.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, it, it's, it's, you hit it really right on the head because, you know, there's so much Oz mythology. I mean, you know, <laughs> L. Frank
2: Baum, what, 15 novels or something? Uh, 20. Um, 20,
1: okay. It, yeah, it was, it was a lot. This guy was, L. Frank Baum was building on continuity novel after novel decades before Stan and Jack ever were on the scene. Right. Um, you know, he was writing these starting in the year 1900, uh, which is why the novels are in the public domain the film the iconic Judy Garland film that everybody knows about is not um, and so that was you know it's an interesting you got to thread the needle a little bit because of course there's plenty of overlap between the, the the bomb novel and the movie although you know the movie certainly did its own fair share of sanitizing things and um, and for example uh, the Ruby slippers that was an invention for Technicolor. Um, they are actually silver slippers. So anybody who needs to call me out on that in the book, I promise you I've done the research. Yes. Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I know what's in public domain and I know what would get me sued. Um, so yeah, you know, it, it's, it's, you have to really thread the needle because like you said, there's this public idea of what the wizard of Oz is and there's so much more that you can explore. So for me, I had actually read uh, the Oz novels in college. I wrote a I wrote a term paper about it being like this prototype superhero universe. Uh, so I come by this comics thing honestly. And um, for me, it was more of like, okay, I want to focus on those core four characters that everybody knows about. You know, um, you know, Dorothy, Scarecrow, Tin Man, Cowardly Lion. Um, but there's still all these little Easter eggs that you can use, and you can dig into that Oz mythology to make the setting itself scene even bigger and more and more uh, sweeping than uh, even what you saw in the films. So, for example, you know, we've got, you know, the bombed out Emerald City is a very different place than the Deadly Desert, which is a very different place than the Mountaintops of Ix, which is a very different place than the Wicked Witch's Castle. Um, that's why, you know, like Ruben and I and Whitney and I, we did talk, you know, we talked about Mad Max and we talked about Fallout, but um, we talked a lot about Star Wars Because that's the thing, like, you know, from Hoth to Endor to Tatooine to Coruscant to the trenches of the Death Star to Cloud City, you know, those you immediately have an image that pops in your head of these locations and they each have their own palette and temperature and vibe and internal high concept. And um, it lends to the scope of the story. You know, Luke Skywalker's not just fighting for himself. He's fighting for the whole galaxy. This is what Dorothy Gale is doing. She's not just fighting for herself. She's not just exploring her own trauma, but she's kind of grappling with the burden of leadership and figuring out what does a just war mean? uh, Because it's not just her life on the line. It's an entire world called Oz.
2: Amen. You mentioned Stan and Jack and Star Wars with this. There are so many parallels with Lucas's four characters and both the Mm -hmm. Fantastic Four and the core four of Oz. Absolutely. Absolutely. So it's beautiful to put it that way.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think you, you see that those core dynamics, I mean, the Oz characters, they're all archetypes, you know, Mm -hmm. but then you throw them in a room together and you start to see what sparks start to fly. And, and it's sort of iron uh, strengthens iron in a way, you know, their, their characteristics start to really shine. Uh, the more that they're with one another. And you see the thread going to, you know, Claremont's X-Men, or you see it to, um, for for me, and I'm, uh, you know, like I'm a big fan of classic role-playing games. Chrono Trigger, love that game. Huge influence on this book. Uh, Final Fantasy VII, you haven't played that. S- similar, similar thing. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's like these cool team dynamics, and I think that really was very interesting to me, is, uh, you know, in the OZ, as Dorothy starts to kind of build her little makeshift army of four you know seeing how these archetypes have endured over the years but have also changed dramatically um it gives me a lot of wiggle room as a writer because there are a way you can there's a lot of directions you can go that still feel, feel organic so you know for example the tin soldier you know he's he's a he's you see him you know he's been blown up and put back together with whatever pieces of metal are around and so he's this kind of giant freedom fighter uh, with his giant axe and his rivet cannons on his wrist. But he's also the guy who you um, wanted a heart. And so what happens to that guy when he's spent years watching his friends get killed right in front of him? Um, or the scarecrow, you know, he's a guy who wanted he wanted to be smart. Well, that can be a real monkey's paw. Um, you know, yeah. it, sometimes... Being the smartest guy in the room doesn't mean you solve every problem. It just means you're the first one to realize it's horrible and you can't solve it. Um, what does that do to a person? How does that twist them? Um, uh, you know, especially if you have that intelligence and you're like, you 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 are compelled to keep trying. Um, it's very, it's, it's almost like Sisyphus. I feel like the scarecrow is like one of the most complicated characters we have in this book. I think readers relationships with him will evolve pretty dramatically over the course of the, uh, the three issues that will be, uh, kickstarting over three separate campaigns. Um, <laughs> you know, and then there's the, the, cowardly lion, um, you know, where I think his story, he, he parallels a lot with Dorothy, you know, and the fact that they both are grappling with questions of legacy. Um, you know, the, 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 the cowardly lion, you know, you wanted bravery, but it's very different. That, that calculus is very different when you're just fighting for yourself versus if you're the king of the animal kingdom. Suddenly that calculus changes. What does it mean to be brave when you have to fight for more than just yourself? Um, and so, you know, it's it's really cool to be able to take these very iconic characters and either twist them, take a real hard left turn. Or just take these like core characteristics and take them to the logical extreme. Um, but you know we've got some other characters in the mix as well. Um, you know uh, Jack Pumpkinhead uh, 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 makes an appearance in this book. Um, I tried I tried not to go too deep beyond sort of the core main characters, but I love Jack so much. Uh, I love that visual that I, I I got a good role for him. Um, the Wizard of Oz is going to be a fan favorite, I think. Um, You know, we uh, I think we've written the character in such a way that really honors what I always the impression I always got from from The Wizard of Oz is he's like the most charming con man you'll ever meet. Like he's the guy who like, you know, you can't get mad at him. He's just the wizard. That's just what he does. You know, he's he's a serial fabricator and exaggerator, but it's never done maliciously. Um, And I think he's the guy who is all about soft power and manipulation. And so I think the way that we have translated that in the O.Z., I'm really proud of it. I'm really happy with it. And I think I think fans are going to fall in love with the character in a big way.
2: Quick aside, you you, you, I'm sure you know this having done that term paper, but. Originally, for the 1939 film, they wanted W.C. Fields to play the Wizard of Oz. Right, and, and they couldn't work that out with Paramount. There were a lot of other casting things, but W.C. Fields in that role—holy cow! Yeah,
1: no, I mean
2: <laughs> the like, ultimate con man in the movies, and he put him there.
1: Yeah, like it's 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 uh yeah it's 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 one of those things that seeing it's like being able to to take all that history. And then distill it. I, I, I said this actually in an interview that I was writing. Um, uh, I think it was last night. Boy, the days are all blurring together right now. Um, that for Spencer and Locke, it felt like excavation. You know, I had to dig into 10 years worth of Bill Watterson's strips to find out kind of the, the what's the iconography here. And what are the, the bits that people are going to immediately recognize and be like, you know, are going to love these Easter eggs. Uh, sometimes it kind of feels like dancing in the head of a pen, especially when you're – I'm working on the third volume right now. Um, for the OZ, it felt more like sifting for gold uh, where there's so much stuff that you could just drown yourself in and figuring out, OK, what's the most universal stuff here? What's the stuff that's not going to require a whole – like like a PhD for people to understand, um, not going to require like an English degree uh, or having read all of the Oz novels? Um. So something that is accessible because that's always the watchword that I use with my work is—is is it accessible? Um, and then, sort of digging in and being like, but here's like a, you know some cool little tidbits here and there that flesh out this world and sort of you know can can please the diehards. Um. But yeah, I. I uh, and then just seeing the way that Ruben brings them to life. I mean, whether it's super complicated character designs like the Tin Man or some of the more like even more streamlined and and classic designs. He's just, these characters all look incredible. Um, This book is a joy to read, even without the lettering. Um, And actually, that is why, uh, you know, what we're doing for the majority of our rewards is we're actually offering behind-the-scenes material, including uh, my scripts, uh, including Ruben's uh, raw inks as well as Whitney's untouched colors because I want, Ooh. Uh, yeah, weird. And here's we where we live. Yeah. We are doing that. Um, uh, the script is, is from uh, our, our second lowest tier on um, basically, if you get the OZ in any capacity, you will get my script. Um, and if you go a little higher past that first tier, you will get the art with it. doesn't matter what tier you back. Uh, cause I want to make sure in addition to the, each issue being 44 pages, double sized, um, I want to make sure that readers get bang for their buck. And, uh, this is sort of the, 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 tip of the iceberg of how we plan to do that.
0: Damn dude, I'm looking through your, your reward tiers right now and just drooling all over my keyboard.
1: <laughs> it's, it, you know, we've got some cool stuff. Um, you know, we've got, uh, 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 Ruben Rojas, uh, our artist, has some commissions. Uh, he also uh, he has a sketch card that's uh, that his designs for Dorothy that he that he first pitched to me. Um, we've got uh, we've got some this I'm really happy with. We've got some limited edition um, hand commissioned Spencer and Locke plushies. I had <gasps> ten, I had ten of them made for oh my, my creative team when the book was first made, and so we have three left. Alright, well you and I are friends, so let's uh let's talk after <laughs> the show. um so you know this is that's that's one of our premium tiers because they're so they're so limited and I'll admit that it it, it 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 uh it breaks my heart a little to part with them. But um you know, it's it's a piece of history. Um and so I, I, I wanted to make sure that for our, our diehard of diehards that we had something in place that's our, our King of the Jungle package. Ah. Um, but yeah, it's just, uh, you know, we've got, we've got tiers for every budget, um, because I wanted to make sure this book was accessible. Um, you know, I, I, I love our big ticket backers. If you're listening and want to be a big ticket backer, please feel free. <laughs> but, you know, at the same time, like, I'm not looking to be a gatekeeper here. Like, I want to make sure that there is something for every budget. Um, that people can join us and that people can fall in love with the story and they can stick around as the story continues. Um, so yeah, it's it's you know that's sort of our goal, of my directive with this Kickstarter is um, I want to build a wider consensus and it, it, at least based on the way that the the the, the first forty eight hours have gone, uh, five hundred and sixty six backers later, um, I'm I'm feeling good about it.
0: That's awesome, dude. Let me, let me just paint a picture for you really quick before we move on. Have you seen the movie Amelie? Yeah. Okay, you know how Amelie takes the lawn gnome and mm-hmm. then has her friend take pictures with it sent send to the father? Yeah. If I get the Spencer and Locke, that is what I will do, <laughs> and I will send you the Polaroids.
1: Please do. Please <laughs> do. I would love that. I would love to see what happens to my child. <laughs> um, because, yes, like we had ten of them made. We've got three left. And um, so, yeah, that that. Uh, yes. Uh, you know, that's 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 anybody who gets it. They want to send me photos. That'll be my pleasure.
3: <laughs> All
1: right, man. Well,
0: you are so good at this that you've managed to blow through pretty much every question <laughs> that I had lined up for you. So we're just going to skip right ahead. So when we have people onto the show, we've been doing this thing called the Fast Five. Oh, now, I love that. My favorite fast movie. All right. Typically, yes, it is the best one. Yeah. These are relatively easy, quick answer things, and then we get out of here. Sure. Um, But because you chose something as vast as Wizard of Oz, and I wanted to go with the theme, Mm -hmm. you have some more cerebral questions. So just tell us the first thing that comes to mind if you can't think of anything— we can totally move on. It's 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 yours to control. Are you ready? Ready when you are. Okay. First question. Shoot. What fruit do you love enough that you'd be willing to pick it from the branches of the talking trees, knowing full well that your actions could result in a deadly food fight?
1: <laughs> uh, do strawberries grow from trees. <laughs> I, uh, I, just, Oz. I, it I Oz.
0: they might in Oz
2: though.
1: You yeah. Know? I like how my answer was limited, not based on my knowledge of Oz, but because of my limited knowledge of farming.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Agriculture will get you every time. Yes. All right, so strawberry trees, then?
1: Yeah, strawberry tree.
0: All right. If a house were to land on you, what socks would you like to be wearing when Dorothy inevitably finds your body?
1: Um... Uh i live in california i don't wear socks oh come on uh, um what pattern uh, uh, then it'd have to be like it'd have to be like a pizza pattern that's
3: good Ooh. i like
1: that pizza pattern socks that's my all right, perfect up. perfect
0: all right get a little deeper here you ready yeah who is the man behind the curtain for david pepos uh
1: it has to be my girlfriend
0: there you go. You know that was. I thought that was going to be your answer, and that is a mighty fine answer.
1: Yeah. Uh. No. My, my 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 girlfriend or my 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 partner. She likes it when I call her that too. Uh. Yeah. She's uh, she's my first reader. She's my muse. Uh, none of my books would exist without her. And um. She uh. She 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 keeps she keeps my work tethered. She keeps it accessible and she keeps it human. So uh. Yeah. So if you like any of my work, uh. Uh. You you can thank her.
0: That's awesome. That's lovely. All right, next. Have you ever watched The Wizard of Oz while listening to Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon?
1: No, but you know what? I'm going to do it after this campaign's over. <laughs> <laughs> it works. <laughs> it yeah. does. It's a good yes. time. It's a good time. Uh, grab yourself a
0: drink, Have a put your feet up, the whole mm-hmm. bit. Yep. All right, last question. If the Scarecrow is missing his brain, the Tin mm-hmm. Man is missing his heart, and the Lion is missing his courage... What is David missing?
1: Um, time. <laughs> wow,
2: that's the answer.
1: That I, is the answer. I, uh, I, I, you know, that's that, that is the thing that I always struggle with. I always struggle feeling like there's not enough time in the day that I don't move fast enough. And um, I talked with somebody about it this week, and they, they 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 called it creative patience, and I think that was a very kind way of describing it. Uh, Because I always consider myself particularly restless, and um, but yeah, at the same time, and this is the advantage of doing a platform like Kickstarter, is that you you get to put it out. You're not chained to the month-to-month schedule. You're able to put it out at a more seasonal frequency, so it's at a way that, for example, doesn't blow out Ruben's wrist. I mean, you know, for me (laughs) as a as a writer, like the worst injury I'm going to get is like stepping off the couch. Funny. Uh, which ironically I did do two weeks before the campaign started. But, um, you know, I learned very quickly with Spencer and Locke, you know, this is physical labor for an artist. And if they blow out their wrist, that can be a career-ending injury. So you want to make sure that you give your, your team the time physically that it takes to make the book, not, as well as making it at the level of quality that, that, that everybody wants. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's time. And I think that this Kickstarter, in a lot of ways, has given me that gift of time um, because we're able to put the book out on our terms, not anybody else's, uh, when we feel ready and we feel good about it. And uh, just judging by the reaction that we've had in our first two days, um, I, I think it feels like a leap of faith rewarded.
0: Right on, man good stuff thank you uh, you know it's
1: it's and listen you know for the for the people who are uh, who you know are 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 watching this and they're not sure what they want to do um, you know my 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 thinking is we don't write this book for shock value's sake like that's the first thing i want to get out of the way this is not a book that's designed to be edgy or edge lord or you know shocking for the sake of being shocking that's not how i work um, <laughs> edgelord. you know sh- shock Shock value can get your foot in the door once. Um, it, uh, it it does not though sustain long term investment. It doesn't have emotional engagement, and that's the thing that I always try to do. Um, my high concepts are weird. They're crazy. They're like uh, they're 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 like reclaimed trash um, statues that I then make you care about. Um, <laughs> that's that's sort of my thing. Is 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 they feel a little like motorcycle stunt jumps. But if you can make characters that people can sympathize and engage with and you don't punch down and you don't try to treat somebody's life like, life story as a punchline, um, I think you'll find that people will really respond. And so, um, so that's the thing that I, I'm, I'm most excited about with the OZ is that we've worked really hard to justify this story narratively so it's not a punchline. Um, and that it's just a, 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 a an engaging, action-packed story uh, with a heart, with brains, and a little bit of courage. Oh! Wow. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, I'm I'm so excited with how the, the campaign has gone. I'm so excited for the next 28 days, and uh, I'm excited for uh, to get this book into in, into readers' hands later this year.
0: What's the uh, What's the tier that includes comic book pitching 101 with
1: David Pepos? Uh, You know, I, 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 I have to look at the numbers, but uh, I had Skype sessions. Uh, They went really fast, but um, I'm going to, I'm going to take a look at that um, because, you know, depending on how the schedule looks, it went so fast, you know, who knows, maybe, uh, maybe there's some room for opening up a few more.
0: All right. (laughs) Sounds good. I'm going (laughs) to go to the bank all right man are there any other projects that you would like to pimp before we
1: cut yeah loose? you know i got i i got a few i can tease um you know i've got another book coming out through the direct market uh i think early next year um so i think we'll be hearing about that probably in the next couple months i'd say uh probably in the next like two months um i've got some anthology work that i'm really excited about um i'm doing some stuff from slice of life to crime to horror um I've been really excited to talk about this. I've got a superhero one-shot that I'm working on with my Spencer and Locke partner in crime, Jorge Santiago Jr. Yeah. Um, uh, We're codenaming it Project Juniper. Uh, Don't read between the lines of that. It's just a character's name. Uh, But I'm really excited about this one. This is a character I've had in the back of my head for years, um, and I finally hunkered down and wrote the script. Uh, I'm working on... Uh, we're working on the art for Grand Theft Astro, which is already written, and um, I'm writing. I'm in the process of working on Spencer and Lock 3. And, uh, yeah, and uh, you know, a few other uh, irons in the fire that I'm excited to start working on uh, you know, in, in 2020 and 2021 and beyond. But um, i got a laundry list a mile wide um, of projects that I want to do and never enough time to do them. So uh, it's going to be a busy couple of years, but I, I wouldn't have it any other way
0: fantastic Um, dude i'm so so happy for you and so stoked thank you i I appreciate it yeah man like i i have i have two monitors right and so i've had your kickstarter open on one one monitor and then all the notes and all the crap on the other Mm -hmm. and just watching this go up even from when we started yeah is has been just really really cool and you know we always enjoy your stories and your characters and the worlds that you create and everything and
1: uh
3: I think Tonight, you're gonna love this book.
1: This is, oh, I think man. it's it's one of the best things that I've ever written, and uh, I I I think it is. Uh, I, I think it's one of the best things I've ever written, and I think it's one of the most beautiful books I've ever worked on.
0: I wish we had time to get into how much I love uh, Walter Murch's Return to Oz. You've seen that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oof. Uh, one of my favor- I, I think I've broken three VCRs as a child from watching <laughs> that movie too much. That's great. That's great. Yeah. Worth- I well, oh, love that stuff.
1: Thank you guys for all your support and, th- and thank you for having me. And anybody listening, you know, you, you can back us on Kickstarter. Uh, we've got a, a quick link. It's uh, bit.ly/slash theozcomic. Uh, you can also follow my newsletter, Pep Talks, at uh, bit.ly/slash pepnews. Uh, or, you know, find me on Twitter and Instagram at PeposD or on Facebook at David Pepos Comics.
0: All right, man. Yeah. Well, again, thank you so much. Uh, we'll say goodbye here, but then uh, hang out past the uh, the little goodbye, because yeah. we'll say goodbye privately as well.
3: Yeah.
0: All right, so go check out the OZ on Twitter from David Pepos and Ruben Rojas and Whitney was it, uh, Whitney Kogan. Uh, Whitney Kogar. Or, yeah. Kogar, that's it, I'm sorry. Yeah. And uh, DC Hopkins, Hopkins, right? Yep. Yay, I got them all right, even without the notes. Um, <laughs> all right, everybody, we will be right back. Hello, everybody. We are back again. I can't remember how many times we've made so many phone calls tonight to each other. <laughs> it's kind of ridiculous. Lots of editing to do. But uh, we're going to do it. Thank you very much to David for coming by to uh, hang out with us for a little bit, rekindle the old flame, and uh, talk about the OZ. I am very excited to jump on board that Kickstarter. Uh, I just have to figure out why Kickstarter doesn't like my postal code with the the Ooh. letters in it. So uh, I was telling David off air, like I try to t- I try to type in my stuff, and it likes the numerical stuff. It does not like the letters. So I am going to have to figure out why that is, uh, or maybe use that VPN that we were talking about earlier. And do it through the uh, American side and see if uh, see if that works out for me.
4: I think he's very clearly saying no Canadians.
0: <laughs> Dude, all my totals for his Kickstarter are in Canadian. That's why when I quoted him where the numbers were at, he was like, no, that's not <laughs> what it is. Give him another
2: few hours. It'll get there.
0: I'm sure it will. I'm sure it will. It's it's awesome. The, the response to this has been tremendous. And uh, I'm just I'm really happy for him and everybody involved. It's. It's nice in, you know, in the current climate, if you will, to have nice things happen to nice people.
2: Absolutely.
0: There you go. And what else we've got for you are some more lightning rounds because we only did one before David (laughs) popped in. So we've still got lots of comics to talk about. We've also got some news. We've got some mm. listener questions. I was like, we're going to go in. We're going to do this in and out. It's going to be real quick. This is not going to be a quick show. I thought that no. this was going to be a quick show. It's not going to be it's a quick show. It's going to be a good show. Though. It is a great show. It is my favorite show that we've recorded this week.
3: All right.
2: <laughs> hmm. Hmm. i don't know if i i don't know if i could say
0: the same thing <laughs> no i know i know you can you can talk about your your you guest spot you. a little later for sure um i'm i'm very anxious to hear that so uh aaron how do you feel about doing a little right light lightning round lightning okay. round. Which I, roll. A lightning round?
4: <laughs> this is gonna be so fast you watch, you watch. Oh. i gotta cover it i gotta cover it you all right are we going? Me up, or is that man. the light
0: yeah, I got the, I got
4: the timer. Are you ready? All right, go. All right, you go. Okay, go. <laughs> <laughs> all right, book number one, Empire 5. Yeah, I'm riding this thing out. Al Ewing, Dan Slott, Valerio Sidi. All right, so the plants are winning. The Avengers are on the ropes. We all knew it was going to happen. That's the way it always happens. And it's not, it's not a bad story. I'm not saying it's a bad story. But the team is split across all the battlefronts. We have Black Panther. We got Tony and Reed. We have FF split up. Um... You know, things are going to hell. You know, the Kataidi are kicking some ass. They're doing their thing. I still don't know what that thing is exactly, but they're still doing it. And apparently everything's going to come down to these precious nine minutes that are left. Now, Bob, did you read? Uh, have you read any of this? No,
2: okay? I have. I have.
4: All right. All you right. So, spoil
2: it. if you're spoiling, not, go right ahead.
4: No, I'm not going to spoil. Uh, I just want to say. So the question I have is, what's the story here? Um, because we've gotten really deep. We got one issue left of this. And I still don't know exactly what the story is, but there's a lot that's going to have to be wrapped up, and I think the, the next issue. Now, I will say, and I was I'll echo this again with my next book that I think the thing that I'm clinging to the most here are the relationships between everyone in this book, and there's especially a moment between Hulkling and uh, Wiccan oh. that I think yeah. is just amazing in this book. I just, that's been I one of the
0: it. better aspects of this event has been. The two of them and and their relationship. It's not been in the book a whole lot, but it, it is also kind of the anchor that everything yeah. is revolving around. That's one thing that I I really do love about this story. I'm not. I'll, I'll get to my bits. I'm sorry. I'm stomping all over
4: your lightning rounds. I hope you stop that <laughs> clock. No
0: Yeah, it's like a game of chess. You should hit the clock. You know. <laughs> all right, go ahead, no, sir. No. I will put some extra time <laughs> no. on your on your uh, little watch oh. here.
4: Watch how I do this though. I'm, I'm, I'm studying Bob. I'm going to figure out how to get through this. Um, but no, uh, Wiccan and Billy, I mean, Wiccan and, uh, and Hulkling have just been the sweetest, coolest sort of aspect of this and that relationship sort of being a center, sort of an anchor for, you know, making you realize that, okay, Hulkling is not sort of going over to the dark side. It's sort of, Wiccan sort of is that reminder for me that Hulkling is not going over to the dark side, but I don't want to spoil anything. There's a lot of good action. There's a lot of heroes being heroes. And again, a lot of, you know, focus on relationships. I'm just curious when I get to episode six, what the payoff is going to be. So I guess we'll talk more then. Next book, Empire X-Men number three, Vita Ayala, Ed Brisson, and Zeb Wells, and Andrea, Bro- I'm sorry, Brokondo. Bro- Bro- I can speak. I have words. I do. So, <laughs> Plants versus zombies versus X-Men. So the the f- interesting thing about this story, as I mentioned last week, is that everything that's happening in this part of the story is pretty much all Wanda's fault, but she's nowhere to be found, um, which is interesting. Um, things are just going crazy. This is just a bizarre – this book, in, honest, in all honesty, has nothing to do with, you know, from a tonal perspective, with the larger Empire um, event. Um, It does, but, you know, because you have the the Katari there, but this book is more of a standalone, almost comedic um, sort of corner of this event. It almost makes me wonder, I wonder what it would be like if Marvel was to do almost a a comedic event, you know, that sort of had this sort of tone that tied a variety of other you know books into it. In any event, I say read it because it's got horticulture in it, and they are just hysterical to me. Because it's like watching the Golden Girls, um, you know, militarized. But in any event, um, again, if you're looking for something that's going to inform you about the entire the Empire storyline, you're not going to get it here, really. But if you're looking for something that's going to make you chuckle a bit, I think you're going to love this book. So next, Marauders 11. Jerry Duggan, Stephen Caselli. I have been waiting for this story forever. Kate Pride, Kate Pride, Kate Pride. Everyone is there going to mourn the loss of Kate Pride, who, who, for whatever reason, can't be resurrected. I don't think that's a secret anymore. I think this has kind of been a, a thing that's been out there. Um, it's been everyone's been struggling to understand what's going on, why is this happening? It's the same reasons why she couldn't get on to, to Kirkoa. Uh, but there may be hope. Um, Lockheed returns, gives Emma a little bit of information that's gonna kick off some, some bad shit happening down the line. But uh, there's some things that are going on here that I think – no, no, no. We'll see how things go. Um, it's interesting. Uh, I Again, I'm going to ping on the relationships again because sort of seeing how impacted Emma is by Kate's passing was – it gave me another perspective on Emma um, because you don't often see Emma caring. You know, well, recently anyway um and just again those relationships seeing how everyone is sort of touched and moved is a little bit it's it was it was again the relationships that they're focusing on right now in marvel i think of everything still not sure why pietro was nowhere to be found but okay, maybe some other time um book four x-force number 11 speaking of pietro so as we said before that, you know, X-Force has basically been about the the wet works team, the team that goes undercover and does the things that the rest of the uh, the inhabitants of Krakoa maybe don't want to see happen. Well, once again, some other force has invaded Krakoa and wreaking havoc and everyone's got to have all hands on deck. And uh, meanwhile, over off in the Shire, we have uh, uh, Colossus, you know, kind of rethinking where he is in his in his role as an X-Men, rethinking what he wants to do, you know, with his role in Krakoa. Does he want to be out in the field anymore? Does he want to be back? Now, side note, I'm really trying to figure out why this man is wearing bright red booty shorts while farming in the in Krakoa. I don't know. I don't know if it was necessary. Oh, I think to wear you know. that. I mean, was it really necessary to wear that just in everyday life? I mean, you got thigh-high boots on, sir. Anyway, <laughs> so, you know, I, the one thing I'm taking from this book right now, to, well, honestly, the last several issues is that it seems to be the place where we examine some of the impacts of their choices, you know, to create Krakoa, to sort of set up their own world, good or bad. What does it make them, what has it made them have to do? What are the impacts of some of those things? So I think that's the story that's kind of being told here. Yes, there's that sort of sexy, fancy aspect of it, the, the wetworks team, but I think really underlying that is what is the cost? What is the cost of some of these people's souls, you know, to do the things that have to be done for them to survive? Side note again, Quentin Choir got some booty with a cuckoo. Don't know what's happening with that, but that was kind of interesting. <laughs> anyway, I'm um, just going to move on. Last one. Everyone's favorite hate read, Justice League Odyssey, number 23. <laughs> Dan Abnett, Will Conrad. So Green Lantern is back to the present. Darkseid is taking a beating. Cyborg is almost back to normal again, but not quite, and things are going from bad to worse. So I think we're going to talk about what could be impacting this story down the line a a little bit later in the news section, but I think we're about to wrap it up. This is, again, one of those timey-wimey type scenarios that's happening right now. Um, You have that last-minute sort of uh, cliffhanger thing that happens here. Um, I think we're about to figure out, I, this is teetering on the edge of one of those events that's going to sort of change so many things. If, the, if if this turns into what it looks like it could be, this could explain or answer so many of the questions I've asked on the show the last several weeks about what matters in the DC universe. Because there's once again, there is this scenario where we can go back and we can erase certain things or manipulate certain things in time, make sure so that the scenario that we're in right now never existed and maybe fix, you know, everything that Darkseid's ever done by eliminating Darkseid, but what does that mean for the larger DC universe? So once again, everything is sort of tying into this, you know, metaphysical, bizarre, timey-wimey impact to whatever the universe is. Um, So that's now across this book, the Justice League Dark book, the Legion of Superheroes book, Young Justice book. You know, it is what it is. Um, But... I'm Careful, careful. <laughs> oh, well, I, that's. Ooh, I'm sorry. I said it first, um, but yeah. um, but I mean that's kind of that's that's pretty much what I got this week.
2: Uh, but I, there's a book that's coming out this week. I'm hate reading, and I'll, we'll get to that. What we're looking forward to, in air quotes. I have a couple of couple of goofy points here. One, how how many mutants are there now? There, we're back to being thousands and thousands of thousands of mutants, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Doesn't one of them have the power of Roundup Weed Killer. I'm I just saying. Think. Black Tom is there. Right? And wouldn't that solve our whole Katati incursion uh-huh. thing? hmm Second. And another Aaron, thing. Aaron, <laughs> and another thing. No, this is even goofier. Aaron has participated in our meetups at the world-famous Algonquin Hotel. hmm uh-huh. And... The uh, the knights of their round table, the, the literary wits of the 1920s, loved playing word games with each other. And one, one of their favorites was I'm, I'm going to throw a word at you, and you have to use it in a sentence. Well, I think it was Franklin Adams turned to Dorothy Parker and said, Use the word horticulture in a sentence. <laughs> and she said, without missing a beat, You can lead a horticulture, but you can't make her think. <laughs>
4: The comments expressed by Bob Ryder do not reflect those of <laughs> Eric.
2: The thoughts of Dorothy Parker, what can I tell you? It's her birthday coming up on the
0: 26th. Oh, my God, Aaron. I'm so glad that you joined the show.
4: <laughs> I need legal
3: coverage.
0: <laughs> I need a – oh, no, actually, no, you don't, you don't call for officers anymore. Never mind. I'm going down a dark path. Let's skip it. Um Empire, yeah. I uh during my sick time, I read through Empire one through five. Is I don't I can't get the website to open. Comic list is not performing well these days. They are always down for maintenance and I
4: don't yeah. Right? I thought it was just me. I thought it was just me. I'm like, no. why why can't I get this site up?
0: I'm I clicking wonder. on it right now. Let's see what happens. Oh, it's back. It was not it was not here earlier when I tried to uh to look this up is empire coming out this wednesday the last one no month? It's no not. not this wednesday uh-uh. i didn't
4: we think so. so
0: okay um yeah i um i don't know i there are the story it's doing some things that i really like like i said i like the the hulkling and, and Wiccan and stuff very much and i love the idea of marvel having this big event with this uh this you know wonderful relationship at at the at the center of it. I just don't find myself being very excited by what's I, going on.
4: I don't know what the I don't know what the objective is. Okay, I know I keep saying this, but I'm gonna go back. War of the realms we understood what the objective is. Now granted yeah. that was set up for how long three you know, years of did.
2: jason aaron
4: right exactly yeah. so that was set up for how long so we knew the stakes we knew you know what the you know what the end state was going to be yeah i don't know what that is for this it is and again i'm not saying that what they're doing is bad i'm not saying it's a bad story i'm just saying i don't know what they want me to take away from it as i'm reading it so i'm really right yeah. now just reading you know a, a collection almost like an anthology of battles you know, an anthology of battles that you know, in, in moments with our characters, et cetera, et cetera. But I don't know what is leading to. You know, so yeah. Where I'm going.
0: It feels, uh and I'm I'm not trying to to dog it or anything like that. Yeah. I'm really trying to understand it. Like this is not me crapping all over it. I just it feels inconsequential mm-hmm. at this point. You know, and and you know, we'll get to this in one of the listener questions later. But one of my one of my comics pet peeves is when everything is framed. As like you know, the event that'll change the X universe forever, and you know it all hinges on this, and it all you know someone's gotta die or multiple people gotta die because it's an event and blah blah blah, and but I've read this thing and I do agree with you. I, I like some of the character moments, some of those like quieter, sweeter moments, but like the action, the the biggest takeaway for me from this so far is the crease, uh, the crease and the scrolls. Kind of standing on on mutual ground against the Cotati, but for me personally, you're talking about a war going on within the Marvel universe that I've never cared about. The whole Kree, Scroll skirmish thing—I I, just—I've mm. never connected with it. I've never read enough of the stories. Right, you had it had to be there. Yeah, it was. It 50 Years like, ago, right? Like yeah. on its face, it doesn't interest me as as somebody who's interested in a lot of the Marvel universe. Hence. Doing this for almost nine years, I just I've never that that part of the universe, that story, whether it's Secret Wars or whatever, um, I just I've never wanted to go there. Anyway, um, I just don't. Something with like with War of the Realms, War of the Realms felt significant, but there were also times when it didn't take itself too seriously. You know, when you had all of when you had the Punisher rolling into the battle on a on a Pegasi, guns ablazing. That was just that was ridiculous. Like one of the coolest things. Or a
2: squirrel squirrel girl with frost giants with reading glasses.
0: Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like I mean in this like we got we got the um Ghost Rider turning one of the I guess the Quinjet or something that they had. Yeah. Into, yeah. And, and like and that was cool. And like, you know, that was really neat, but it just I don't know what they're doing. I don't know where they're going. And, and I, I've, I've tuned in and out of, of the stories save for some of those quieter moments or, or the Hulkling and, and Wiccan stuff because that put a really nice bit of heart into a story that really just feels like a, I don't know, Battle Royale or something like that? Yeah,
4: kind of. Yeah, I'll say this much. If it turns out that, you know, one of the takeaways from this this event is that, you know, Hulkling and Wiccan get a front-burner story somewhere, mm-hmm. cosmic or otherwise, I'd be on board with that. Oh, yeah, totally. Absolutely. 100%. It'd be the, it'd be the long way around to it, but I'd, I'd be on board with it in the end.
0: Agreed. Agreed. It, 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 it,
2: that they have a prominent place in this series, and maybe then another book. Maybe that cements into place a Young Avengers thing for Disney and Marvel. Could be as as a movie or a part of the TV universe.
0: We'll see. We might be a ways out from that now, but you never know. Um, yeah, we'll probably talk about that stuff too. All right, we've got we've got a lot of major things to get to, so I'm going to Bob. If you have any questions for Aaron? Speak now or forever hold your peas.
2: No, no, I've uh, no peas. Okay.
0: Uh, I am gonna do whoa, <laughs> I'm gonna do lightning. lightning round. All right. Um go ahead, roll your eyes if you listening. I can see you. It's all right. You don't have sound effects, folks. You know, you know that. We're having and, and apparently I talked to Bobby, those boards are expensive. It's like six hundred bucks. To, okay. to get a, a good soundboard going on. So I don't know about that. And plus I pretty I think that Joey would probably kill me if I introduced one of those to the real Joey. sound effects. As opposed to He would not tolerate it. He would be very upset. <laughs> that's my that's my prediction on that. I wouldn't oh. blame him too. I would probably get real obnoxious with it. <laughs> anyway, uh to program a bunch of things that only I think are funny into <laughs> it. <laughs> Uh, okay, here we go. <laughs> I'm going to put five minutes on the clock for myself. And go. Okay, so Joey already talked about it, but I also just wanted to sing its praises super, super quick. Uh, Pulp, original graphic novel written by Ed Brubaker with art from Jacob and Sean Phillips. Uh, I read this about two weeks back. I am not a person who gets excited about... Westerns, and this is that is exactly what I thought this was going to be was a straight up western, and so I bought it because it was the Brubaker and Phillips combo. But in all honesty, I went into, into it with a little trepidation, being like, "Yeah, I don't know if anybody's gonna make me care about the Wild West. It'll be this team." But uh, and then to my surprise, it's a western, but it's not a western. It's also like a Nazi hunting book, and I was on board for that. I read it, I loved it, and for I was thinking about it for hours after I was done. I went down to the nerd room. I was doing some organizing uh, after moving one of the, the one of the shelves down there, and. I just – it's one of those books that come the end of the year when we want to decide what we want to do, awards or otherwise, and we're going to talk about books. I'm going to have to reread it just to, like, put myself back there. Uh, It is a mighty fine book from that team. So go and check that out, Pulp. Here we go. One Year at Ellesmere. This is an original graphic novel from Faith Erin Hicks. It's like Downton Abbey meets Lord of the Flies in plaid skirts and navy sweaters. The book centers around Juniper, a student who's new to Ellesmere after being accepted into the school's newly established scholarship program. Book smart, socially inept, and not prone to making friends, Juniper hopes to survive her first year at Ellesmere by keeping her head down and her grades up. However... Her goal becomes all the more difficult once the school's resident badass, Emily, decides that Juniper is her sworn academic enemy. Prone to acts of aggression when tested, Juniper, alongside uh, her new friend and roommate, Cassie, must discover a way to circumvent Emily's best-laid plans and make the most of her first year at Ellesmere. I'll tell you this about one year at Ellesmere. Get ready. Listen up. Snuggle up. If you need a book that's guaranteed to put a smile on your face the whole way through, this is the one. I devoured this book, and I already want another one. Give me multiple volumes. I will purchase and read them all. Juniper, Cassie, and Emily are all incredibly well-crafted characters. Each of them is a joy to read at a surface level, but I was also shown that they have Much more going on beneath the surface throughout the story. Juniper puts entirely too much pressure on herself to remain at the top of her class. Cassie is very sugary and sweet, yet she also carries a sour bit of blood for her family that clearly isn't interested in nurturing her gifts. And Emily, well, her primary concern is remaining at the top of the food chain, though you can certainly see where the cracks of self-doubt begin to spider out. Really, really cool stuff artfully faith Aaron hicks gets better and better with every release this book has a bit more of a reina talgemeier look to it as opposed to something like the nameless city which was a bit of, uh, had a bit of a rough edge around it was a little bit more experimental uh this has a nice rounded polished look to it and you can tell uh the entire story without dialogue just from the character's facial expressions and subtle body language really really good communicative uh art on this book Uh, This is a standout title for me during this strange year in comics. I highly recommend that everyone give it a go. It's also a wonderful book for young readers. If you've got one of those, uh, make sure you add it to your Christmas list. That is One Year at Ellesmere. Uh, Let's see. Ooh, I never started the timer because I'm an idiot. (laughs) You have one minute left. Awesome. (laughs) Uh, I'm going to talk about Marvel's Avengers, uh, the beta. So... Square Enix, is it Square Enix? No, it's not Square Enix. Crystal Dynamics, sorry. Crystal Dynamics is doing their Marvel's Avengers game. This is the big tent pole triple A action adventure game. It's a loot-based uh adventure beat 'em up that has got a lot going on for it. Uh, there was a beta last weekend that I'd missed out on, but luckily they had another one again. And then I believe there's a third beta, um, across platforms coming up, uh, this weekend as well. And then that'll be the last one. The game comes out on September 4th. So anyway, needless to say, being a major fan of Marvel and and being a fan of the films and the comics and the characters and all the stuff, I was looking forward to this. I wouldn't say that I was Excited for it based on what I'd seen so far uh, in trailers and their reveal and kind of their their character models and and the look of the world and whatever. But you know, but we're gonna check this stuff out anyway because this is what we do, right? So this beta ended up being a real mixed bag for me. I played about three and a half four hours of it. Um, for anybody else that's played it, I pretty much made it through the first, like, overworld mission with Hulk and uh, and uh Kamala together. And then after that, knowing it's coming out on September 4th, I'd kind of had enough. So, all right, here's the thing. I made a list of the bad, and I made a list of the good. So I might crap on it at first, but then I'm going to tell you about some things that I really liked about it. So there's a balance here to this. Okay, uh... This game has way too much going on, whether that's muddled combat commands or far too many in-game currencies, whatever. I booted this thing up, and by default, um, keep in mind, too, that this is all for a beta. This is not the finished game that I'm talking about, so I'll reiterate that a few times. Uh, The game, visually, is very dark. Uh, I had to go into the sliders and turn them way up. Uh, Trust me, it is not my TV. I'm very strict about that stuff and uh so just the world is like saturated in shadow and in order to like accentuate some of the the colors and and the the skin tones and everything that they've used they've like darkened it up which seems to have the opposite effect for me so anyway once i had adjusted that it ended up looking pretty good uh the game has terrible signposting and by signposting i mean telling you what you need to do next and how to do it. There were a lot of points throughout the demo where I was told what to do once and then really didn't know how to go about doing that thing. Or they would ask me to find something that was in the very room that I was in, and it just took me way too long to find it because the icons that are telling you where to go or what to do uh just were too small too small and not noticeable kind of blending into the background very frustrating um and tiny text too i really hope that there's some kind of a slider to adjust that because a lot of teaching you the game is through you reading which is never a great way to teach somebody stuff and considering how many commands there are in the game uh, some people might get confused i know i was uh, so hopefully they give you the, uh, the opportunity to change some of that stuff. Uh, like I said, way too way too much information up front. Uh, I'm really hoping that that'll be smoothed over in the final build. Combat's a little repetitive, but hopefully that'll open up once you unlock more options in the skill tree. There are these shield enemies that are a super pain in the ass. I don't know if I missed a surefire way to open them up. A heavy attack seems to do it. But then following that up with anything is kind of a chore. Anyway, um, I'm hoping that they they tighten the screws a little bit before this thing actually comes out. And that maybe, just maybe, this wasn't like an up-to-date build and they had this beta ready to go from like a while ago. Uh, That would be pretty nice. Anyway, uh, here's some of the good stuff. There's lots of nice nods to the MCU in particular. Of course, there's stuff about the Marvel comic book universe that's baked in by default. But there are moments that are ripped right out of the movies. Uh, There's a point where you're playing as the Hulk and you quite literally storm your way through a series of hallways and and things of the like very close quarters and he's you know ripping up everything as he's running and leaving all destruction in his wake and it is very very reminiscent of that first avengers movie and is is a super cool moment and there are definitely a couple of things like that in the game uh while i was playing i got to play as thor hulk iron man captain america black widow and kamala khan kamala they all play differently for the most part uh kamala is by far the most fun to play with in my personal opinion she is also a much needed ray of sunshine in the game i am so glad that she is such a such an important part of the overall story and that you you get to spend time with her pretty much throughout the entire game we also get to see her dad which i was not expecting like he calls her beta and he shows up and he he does the whole thing and i was like oh my god but they have outside characters and it looks like him too. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was very cool. Uh and the writing overall from Hannah McLeod is is really it's quite good so far. Um it'll be interesting that because it's a video game, a lot of characters when you're standing around with them are gonna end up talking to themselves. So I'll be curious to see how many like repeat pithy comments we get when when people are standing around kind of tapping their foot waiting for you to go. And uh, let's see what else do I got here. Hoping that the final build will fix a bunch of issues. Da, 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 da. Um, I have I have to confess the beta ended up giving me more reasons to be concerned than excited. But I don't have a lot on my gaming schedule because of COVID, and everything got so messed up and delayed. And so it really doesn't matter if this game blows my mind or not. I'm I I am looking forward to playing it and seeing what they do. I'm very interested in, in seeing the rest of the story. And um, any opportunity to, to take control of these characters and do something really cool with them, I am down for. And this, this very much looks like it could be, in time, the kind of game that I've been waiting for. I really liked Marvel Heroes on the PC. Um, I guess it was okay on consoles. I didn't really play it. But um, kind of that... Loot based Marvel game where you're constantly picking up new items and upgrading your characters and leveling them up. Like, I could definitely see myself playing this game just to have like a top tier Kamala Khan, just to have a top tier Kamala Khan running around in like the gameosphere sphere, if you will. Um, because I think she deserves it and I think that's cool. So, uh, yeah, Avengers beta go, go check it out. Definitely check it out. Uh, any questions? Any comments? Any uh, Anything?
2: Love, Faith, Aaron Hicks. So you you
4: sold me on that one.
0: Anything from you, Aaron?
4: No, I'm worried about the game. <laughs> Were you going to play it? I was planning on it eventually. <laughs> Not anymore! <laughs> I might have to rethink that. I don't know. We'll see. Maybe I'll let others be guinea pigs.
0: Yeah, I mean if anything, I mean I don't know when it would go on sale, but if you wanted to wait for some kind of sale, maybe hold off to see what the you know, the reviews are. I'm I'm I already bought it, so like I I will be playing it one way or another. I just got the platinum for Ghost of Tsushima. So I have a large sprawling uh loot based game uh you know, open in my in my schedule. Uh, Never mind that I'm playing four different things – other things right now between Paper Mario and Animal Crossing, Lily's Garden, and – oh, God, a new game, a puzzle called Creeks that I just bought. I bought two other games today. Uh, So that's it, I guess, for me. Uh, Go read (laughs) Pulp. It's amazing. (laughs) And um, my God, one year at Ellesmere, I just – Bob, I I think – definitely if you can get your hands on a copy, I I think you would, you would walk away from this with a big smile on your face. It's got a lot of heart. It's very charming. It's very clever. And, uh, Oh my God. One of the best. I was going to read the, the takedown. I was going to read the panels, but it's not going to land as well if I do it. So you'll just have to take my, take me at my word that when Juniper first is, first reacts to Emily, she has the most tremendous takedown for being bullied that I've, I've read in a, in a long time. And I was immediately taken by this character within the first few pages. I was like, Oh my God, those are the words that I'm always thinking, but don't have the, you know, <laughs> the guts to say that's incredible. I love you. So really, really great chem- character chemistry in that book. So, Uh, Just to double back super quick before we move on to the news, uh, Bob talked about Wonder Woman, number 760, Adventure Man, number 3, Captain Marvel, 19, and Stargirl, the finale for season 1. Aaron talked about Empire, number 5, Empire X-Men, number 3, X-Force, number 11, Marauders, number 11, Justice League Odyssey, number 23. I talked about Pulp, uh, One Year at Ellesmere, the Marvel's Avengers beta, and I totally did not talk about the fearsome Dr. Fang. Uh, I was going to, and here's why. We are going to, uh, or supposed to be, we are scheduled to be joined by a very, very special guest uh, to the podcast, Mr. Z Chun of TKO and uh, Gotham and Gremlins Secret of the Mogwai television series fame. He is showrunning executive producing writing all of that gremlins goodness so you know that i'm gonna have some questions uh and and uh so joey will be heading that up and yeah and we're we're super excited to be talking uh with him about fearsome dr fang and seven deadly sins and gremlins and all of that stuff so that'll be uh if all goes well and there there's no chaos that will be next week so definitely definitely tune in for that show. Uh, I'm super excited about it. All right. Uh, they say that uh, I was going to do something about no news is good news, but we do have news, and uh, most of it isn't good. So, uh, most of it's not good. Actually, none of it's good. Uh, nope. The news sucks. Yep. Oh, God. Okay, so. I'll just put anyway. a little bit yeah. of it. We'll get to it. All right, um, I, Bob. Do you want me to to do this? Go. Or do you... You,
2: please go, because I'll just
0: I'll just cry. Go All ahead. Right. All right. So, I was not here last week when everybody talked about the the breaking DC news and and things were very much up in the air uh, about whether you know is DC going to be still publishing comics? What books have survived the purge? That whole thing. And so then the Hollywood Reporter reached out to DC's Jim Lee about the company's future and he says we are still in the business of publishing comics. Hmm. Uh I'm going to read a little bit. Yeah, uh yeah, we'll get there. I'm going to read yeah. a little bit from this. Uh yeah, I by the way, I'm just going to say this right up front, I cannot promise that I am going to be graceful about this stuff uh i was kind of practicing my rant earlier in the house and it's probably just going to be a mess now so we'll see uh i'm going to read a little bit from the hollywood reporter just so that we have some official stuff on this uh it says monday water media enacted deep and painful company-wide layoffs dc the home of heroes such as batman and wonder woman saw the scythe cut 20 percent of its staff with many senior editors let go and a reorganization implemented that sent shockwaves through not just the company, but through the comic and DC fan community. Ugh. Uh, let's see here. So they got a hold of Jim Lee. They got him into a Zoom call. And uh, they basically asked him a bunch of questions. Is DC still publishing comics? It was their first question to, to Mr. Lee. And this is what he said. Absolutely. 100%. It is still the cornerstone of everything that we do. The need for storytelling, updating the mythology, is vital to what we do. The organization leans on us to share and establish the meaningful elements of the content that they need to use and incorporate for all their adaptations.
3: Mm, When we think
0: about reaching global audiences... We see comics as helping drive that awareness and that international brand. It's very much a part of our future. That said, we will be reducing the size of the slate because that's how you do things on a global scale. Um, He didn't say that. I did. But it's about looking at everything and looking at the bottom 20%. 25% of the line that wasn't breaking even or was losing money. Mm. It's about more punch for the pound, so to speak, and increasing the margins of the books that we are doing. It was about aligning the books to the (laughs) franchise brand content, and we've developed and making sure that every book we put out, we put out for a reason. OK, so for me, this reads that for every book we put out, we put out to make movies or, or, or to make to make money. Um, the part about looking at the bottom 20 percent, 25 percent of the line and, and seeing the trends of it and, 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 and taking it away from the lineup. I feel real bad about all of the good books that could have been that are going to be lumped into this pile this this twenty and twenty five percent pile. Uh, we'll get to some of the named cancellations uh, in just a little bit, but I mean my interpret my my jaded and angry and I hate I hate the machine. Reaction to, to this particular part about what Jim Lee is saying about them still publishing comics. It's a lot of what you guys were talking about last week in terms of DC really turning into being just a Justice League machine and just focusing on their star lineup and not really giving other characters a chance... To do their thing. And, and, and like stuff that's happened at Marvel and has happened at DC in the past, I think a lot of these books get canceled prematurely that creators don't get to tell their stories for a lot of these things that come out. Books are getting cut short all the time. And I understand the nature of the company, the corporation. Like they are there to make money. I just wish that there was a little bit more care or a lot more care in letting stories breathe and letting creators tell their, 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 you know, share their intended vision for the, for these, these characters and these things. And I just, I don't know to hear, to hear that it all comes down to the almighty dollar like it always does will never not depress me. So that's my two cents. I'll probably come in with something else, but um, Bob.
2: Yeah, here, here, here's the thing. It's always been about the money, and that th- no matter what, and so we, we get that. The problem starts to, to really bubble up into that notion that is all of DC Comics going to just be an IP farm? and be reduced to yes the biggest selling books. Well I tell you the, the the wonderful ideas and the 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 diversity and the the only things in DC's lines that don't look like that Justice League thing you're talking about are in that bottom 20%. It's in the crazy stuff, it's the young animal books and all the weirdness that was going on and it's Amy Rees Amethyst and so on and so forth. Is there a better way to do this sort of thing and still publish comic books that actually get to stores? Yes, maybe it's – instead of publishing 52 books, which they want to do, maybe you do some of them as miniseries, as we had in the last year and had a wonderful uh, Lois Lane and Jimmy Olsen miniseries. You try it that way. Do them in six. Let people tell that story with the room to breathe. Commit to it early. Commit to soliciting it early. One of the other things that came out on these articles is the whole idea of – Things that sell digitally sell in print. So we're going to test things out digitally and then put them into books. Okay, Mr. Lee, uh, and I sh- we should call him Wallace Hartley, who was the band leader on the Titanic, makes these statements. And if we're, what are we, what does that do for a store? You're going to sell this thing to customers digitally at at, at full price. Are you going to sell them as these chapters you're doing with the stories that are left over from Walmart and sell them for $3 a piece and then ha- not sell them to a store and then sell them to a store four, five, six months out? Uh, how does that store sort out what they need to buy? How does that even work? It, it, it's it's He's in a very bad position. He's the last man standing. There are a lot of really good people who got shown the door here. The the one shining bit of good news is that they have two new interim editors-in-chief over there. Marie Javins, who is on the digital side of things, and Michelle Wells, who is in charge of the D.C. Young Adult graphic novel program. Can they sort something out? Can they broaden their marketplace so there's a line for everyone? And not just that the person in charge hates the idea of black label, and so we should cancel those and fire Mark Doyle, or we should so get rid of Bobby Chase and Mark uh, Bob Harrison. But you've grown a new marketplace, too. Let's not forget them in the race to do all this digital stuff. So that, that Michelle's in this mix somewhere, I'm hoping. But chopping the line apart, are they publishing too many books? Probably. Is that the best way to do it? Is that how you curate it? So now we'll have four Batman books a month and four Supermans and three Justice Leagues and uh, Aquaman's going. We will go down the other list of things that are going with it. What is ne- what? If we were making the necessary DC books for profit, we'd be Batman, Superman, Justice League.
3: Hmm.
2: Maybe Birds of Prey when there's a movie out. Maybe Wonder Woman when there's a movie out. And then we'll be flooded with whatever those movies are with four books by them. And unless they do this very, very rumory Target deal where they sell monthly books in Target, that's been floating around for a couple of months. And that's one of the reasons they have split with Diamond. If you still want to sell them in stores or digitally, you're not growing your marketplace. That market is in real bookstores with real books that might come out once a month or they're in scholastic book fairs or they're in comic book stores. They're not in someone's iPhone. They even said themselves the marketplace is what, 15 to 20%. And that's, I think that's high, but I'm, I'm for, for all of Marvel's Disney Marvel's flaws about doing things. And and there are too many events, which is ridiculous. They put out a lot of books, and they tried a lot of things, and some of them didn't work, and they cancel them, and they try other oddball things, and they end up canceled. But we do get in between six, eight, 12 issues of something. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: And maybe they shouldn't be released as number ones. They should be released as minis, and let's walk that back and let it all happen more organically, and then if something's a hit, do a series. But doing it all by the numbers just strikes me as... Awfully mercenary, admitting I know that it's all about money, but boy, it's supposed to be a creative medium. Um, I'll stop. I'm sorry. I'm going crazy. No,
0: it's, no, it's fine. It's fine. Um, so I'm going to read the list of um, canceled books, unless, uh, Aaron, if you wanted to jump in, feel free.
4: So I did just have one in response to the whole bottom 20%, 25% scenario. I did have It's similar to what you just said, Bob. So you're going to have the house of uh, Batman, Superman, and the Justice League. You're going to have that house, and you're probably going to have, you know, some other similarly related, you know, characters, you know, circling around that because that is what is internationally known. So what does that mean for the far sectors? You know, what does that mean for the Naomi's? Um, what does that mean for anything that may have, you know, dipped its toe into a more diverse segment of the community um, that may, because more often is not the case. You have a scenario where, you know, in a medium like this, you have a scenario where the books that sell or the things that the medium that sells that makes all the money affords you a little space to do some of the more niche things. In theory, do you think, right? In <laughs> theory, but now if you're automatically going to cut those niche things because they are not, you know, fiscally responsible or however you want to call it, um, I don't. You're going to limit what I care to read about. So yeah, I can honestly see that if there's a scenario where we're only going to be featuring those books that are internationally known, those books that have a, um, I don't, they're recognizable. The, the, I won't even say the Trinity because Wonder Woman's not in there, but the Batman, Superman, you know, Justice League books, and you're not going to have those other books, and you're going to have a scenario, you're not going to have those lower tier books, like we said, but then you're going to have the scenario where it becomes a self fulfilling prophecy. Is this a scenario? Is this a, a step one towards them just getting out of the comics business altogether? Because I could sort of, I could see that path. I could absolutely see that path. Um, because they got, what, 80-plus years of content that they could rely on to, you know, continue to mine for their movies and films and all that stuff. Um, I don't know. This becomes – it's troubling because I don't think we're really seeing what the – I don't even know if Jim Lee knows really what's going to happen next. I think he's saying what he has to say. You know, I think he oh, believes totally. what he's saying. I don't think he's lying. I believe. I think he believes what he's saying, but I don't think he really knows. I think he has to say what he has to say now. Um, I don't know, but – And it's unfortunate, I guess in the comics business, I guess DC would be too big to fail, wouldn't it? Because if DC goes away, I mean, am I wrong in assuming that that's a death knell for local comic shops?
2: There are stores that are nothing but old-time superhero stores from back in the day. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: Losing DC or having DC become nothing but... The thing is, if it becomes nothing but Batman. They'll still sell Batman, but the person who who now bought twelve other books now only has two books to buy. It it would hurt, and if there are no books at all, which may, as you were saying, Aaron, this could have been a plan that even Warner's had in play at some point, even five or ten years ago, when things crashed after the the '90s speculator boom and so on and so forth. Um. You now add AT&T to this mix and a whole other set of bean counters? Yeah. We're on that path. Will there be a monthly book? What Will it be a book, or will it be digital? And will that take a lot of money out of a lot of people's pockets, creators, stores? Yeah. And I think it's its said that a company that was founded in the early to mid-1930s, can find itself in this position. They did a lot of it to themselves, making those statements they, that, that uh, Mr. Didio did a couple of years ago about how their, their books were aimed at people 25 to 45. That's a problem. That's a problem. And their line definitely hewed in that direction and had for a long time. There were changes. Mark Doyle, who just lost his job, was a person who wanted to do DCU, if you remember, Batgirl of Burnside, Gotham Academy, all those things.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Those weren't; those were a nice attempt, but they didn't pass muster with the a lot of the DC core audience. What they have now found is there's a whole other DC core audience that wants to read Zatanna and the House of Mystery and Diana Princess of the Amazon and the Oracle Code and those things, who probably never been inside a comic book store. So. The, that market's there if they want to address it. If, if they want to go down the gloom and doom dark path, they are without thinking about those other things. They're they're done. They could really be done. But I, I am hoping again, my fingers across that the, the the two people now as interim, how interim that could be unless they can turn things around. But you have someone who looked at the, it was doing the digital end of and some doing the young adult. Mm. let's let's make books right there can there should be black label there should be regular dc books there should be young adult books there should be kids books there should be those little gotham books that they were doing right there there should be scooby doo there should be a Justice League that a, that a 10-year-old kid can read, and their parents don't have to look over their shoulder to see that someone's getting their head ripped off or something. And then there should be a book where you can have the bat penis, if that's what you choose to show.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but, but, it all but, comes right? back the, to the this, bat dong.
2: Yes, but there's a, there should be something in this line for everybody, and the, that's I don't hear that in these statements, really. It's all about numbers, and as you say, Aaron. That that twenty percent; those are the diverse books, those are the interesting books, those are the
4: experiments. Yeah, you're gonna because you got the first thought I had was okay, the international market. In the international market, he's gonna want you're gonna want to have those books that are consistently recognizable, you know, in every market without a word on the
2: cover, they would know it's Batman. You're absolutely it's right. Exactly.
4: Yes. You're not going to get that with a, you know, with a Naomi. You're not going to get that with the fire sector. You're not going to get that with any of those smaller books, you know, that, you know, other communities might appreciate. Um, you know, uh, I don't know where this could go. I, I wonder if we're even going towards a scenario where, I don't know. This is all speculation, but I wonder if we're going towards a scenario where, um, the books are essentially sort of companion pieces to the other media, and that's pretty much what we get. to – Those are the only books that we get. So, you know, like we always say that Tony Stark now looks like Robert Downey Jr. Are we going to have that sort of play out into a larger form of, you know, when Wonder Woman comes out, we're going to have a slew of Wonder Woman books for a six-month period, and then they'll go away. Then when Green Lantern comes out, whatever, you know, you're going to have a slew of Green Lantern books, and then that goes away. You know, same with Flash or something like that. Everything's going to tie in, but it's all going to be is it. Is the comics division going to become more of a marketing tool?
2: Yeah. Are they advertising pamphlets instead of actual stories?
4: Yeah. I, uh, nothing that can – I don't have any information that informs me of this otherwise. But you know, in any way, I'm just wondering. I'm just reading in between the lines of what's being said.
0: Do we think that this kills Young Animal?
4: Mm, I would have to say probably.
2: Yeah. Unless they have a, a special deal. With is Gerard Way, right? He's overseeing the project beyond writing the books. Unless he has a deal that they have to put out a certain amount of books per year, independent of how much they sell, because obviously those books were selling under 10,000 copies, Mm -hmm. which doesn't, shouldn't really matter. Here's here's the thing that I, I am not an accountant, I don't play one on television, but this is the direct market, right? There are no returns. How is it that any book isn't profitable? They're only printing enough books to sell every single copy to the store. Where's the loss? They take no loss. They get no returns. If they print 3,000 books and sell 3,000 books, that should be good because the book costs them what to produce? $0.20, $0.30, Twenty cents, thirty cents. They sell it to the uh, the wholesaler for a buck, and the, 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 if they if they handle the page rates correctly, they should make a profit. Is it a good profit? No. Is it like selling two hundred and fifty thousand copies of Batman with what's what's the new character in it? The one who takes over for Harley? Punchline. Punchline. No. But not every book's going to sell like that. That's that's what happened in the 90s. Let's make everything a, a, a glow-in-the-dark, cut-out, on-fire cover, and we'll we'll put, put them in a bag, and then put the bag in a bag, and we saw what that did. It destroyed the industry then. We've gone through that now. DC's better up than Marvel, but still um, – <sighs> If we're going to think about that, I really believe that even though smaller books are still turning a profit, it's not enough profit for someone in a big office at the corner looking out over Hollywood Boulevard. I get it. Mm-hmm. It doesn't satisfy me as an answer, however. I'm an old curmudgeon.
0: <laughs> All right, let's see here. We're, um. What's canceled? Give us the cancels. Well, yeah, I'm going to go through the cancels, and then we're going to quickly go through the uh... – the questions or or, or whatever, because uh, I am aware that we are having uh, a little bit of technical difficulties tonight. Uh, there might be some dropouts and weird edits in this episode. Uh, I'm gonna deal with it the best that I can. Uh, COVID internet, let me tell you, you know, I, I put a lot of the, the the pressure on myself when it's my turn to record, but the internet has not been great ever since the stuff started, and everyone's home. Uh, you know, streaming their Netflix and their Disney Pluses and all that stuff. And so, you know, we do what we can. Okay. Following the cancellations of Batgirl, Batman and the Outsiders, and Justice League Odyssey. There you go. Mm-hmm. In, in October. <laughs> more DC's uh, titles are scheduled to get the axe in November. This is coming from Games Radar, by the way. Uh, DC's just released November solicitations... Reveal that Teen Titans, Young Justice.
3: Yeah.
0: I know Suicide Squad. You're canceling Tom Taylor's Suicide Squad. What are you doing, uh, Hawkman? And this is this is the one that killed me, and I'm sure it killed Sarah as well. And I know for a fact that it killed Cyberspreader. Yeah. But Constantine, John Constantine, Hellblazer has been canceled. It will end uh, with 12 issues. And while, you know, we've gotten used to that being a nice round of issues, uh, you know, enough for for two story arcs at least, uh, maybe three if you play your cards right, you play your issues right, but (sighs) Cy clearly had plans way beyond 12 issues, and he posted something to his blog. He was unhappy, and I do not blame him. And he called it out right there, said it came down to money. It's all about the money. Mm -hmm. Um, There's also a cryptic message about Aquaman uh, possibly no longer being around, which I don't understand that one either. Uh, You know, Kelly Sue, when she was with us last, was kind of hinting that she was going to be making her exit. But with an Aquaman 2 uh, like on the way or scheduled, I just I don't understand why the why your these character books go away. Same if with you, Suicide Squad, right? Yeah, right, exactly? Exactly. What are you doing? You have Tom Taylor writing Suicide Squad. What is wrong with you? They're just gonna relaunch it. Why not keep it around and build the fan base before your fucking movie comes out? I don't understand some re or, or or even the reverse build
2: you've got a movie maybe someone would buy the book if you if you marketed the book to those movie fans yeah could you put a card up at the end of the movie by the way this is based on the suicide squad movie and if you mention this ad you'll get 10% off or 30% off if you go to your comic store and mention uh, swordfish or something i don't know
0: <laughs> swordfish hey.
2: Well, wow. the password the password is swordfish oh my the god the password is always swordfish
0: <laughs> like ad- admittedly i am not i am obviously i'm not the biggest dc reader everybody knows that from listening to this show um i do enjoy their stuff and i enjoy their heroes and their characters and their villains blah blah, blah. but like i just in the last year or so i have not felt a, a strong pull toward the, uh, a lot of their stuff but there have been things here and there far sector the Young animal stuff. Um, Suicide Squad has been really good, finally. Uh, John Constantine Hellblazer is amazing. And I just... Batgirl will no longer have a book. And I, I, I just... this These decisions are killing a whole swath of books that either I care about... Or or want to see continue because I love I love the characters and would love to see a different creator's take on them and what they can do. And according to this, by the end of this year, this horrible year, all these books will be gone. Would would Diamond have
2: tried to demand something different, I wonder? I don't know. Would don't Steve Jeppy have enough leverage to say, hey, what are you doing? We sell these books. Yeah. Why don't we try that? I am reminded it's for different reasons, but when you guys were starting this show, they had just launched the new 52.
3: hmm
2: I went from collecting nine DC books a month to collecting one, and that was only because it was Gail Simone writing Batgirl. Hell, yeah. They canceled all my books and replaced them with stuff I didn't want to read. Mm-hmm. And for all those people who are buying those books, I bet you there are folks buying all that bottom
0: 20%. They now have no DC books to buy.
3: Yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, this is this is very much what it's looking like for me. You know, I, I teeter on the edge of, of not buying Batman every issue that's come out for the past little while. Um, I'm just not digging on it as much as I, I want to. Every time an issue comes out, I'm like, this is going to be the one. And it never is. <coughs> anyway, that's just me. Uh, and I do realize that, you know, s- some of what I'm saying is unrealistic, and, and uh, I don't know how all of this stuff works, but uh, damn it, i going to complain about it anyway. Yes. Uh, the Batman's Grave and Metal Men are also going away, or they're ending, rather, and they their, their intended uh, runs in November.
2: Yeah. That man could have ended like six months ago. It'd have been fine
4: by me.
0: Hey
2: <laughs> that's the wow. book I'm hate. It's the book
0: I'm hate reading.
4: I knew that was a one. All right. Let's um
0: let's go to some questions super quick and then get Woo-hoo. out of here. Cause I got a lot of editing to do. I'm gonna be up late tonight. Okay. So I feel we talked about this. Question a little bit before the show started. (laughs) (laughs) And I have to admit, I feel a little attacked. I feel a little attacked, but we're going to read it anyway. Joseph Montague, Talking Comics Crew, got a listener question for you. Is it a question, Joseph, or is it an attack? No, he's a good guy. I know. I'm I'm having fun. Uh, With all of this Netflix avatar, The Last Airbender, Hullabaloo, I have a hot take confession. I think Avatar, the last airbender, is fine. (laughs) Only just fine. What's an opinion in comics pop culture that you find yourselves on the very lonely side of? Well, if this were several years ago, I would tell you that I find Zooey Deschanel to be insufferable. Uh, I think The Office sucks uh the phrase we can uh, we're we're about to change the x universe forever i said that earlier that is all that's one of my biggest comic book pet peeves um it's usually never the case and it's just something that they say to sell books and to rope people like me in every time cuz I, I i i fall for the bait every time and um sometimes there are things like the X, the, the X-Men stuff going on right now, I, I feel has been the most significant shift in all of comics that I've been reading for, for a while now, uh, in terms of really kind of changing the status quo for a large bit of the populace of your comic book brand. Um, but Avengers are still avenging. They're just arguing and fighting each other and doing their thing. And so whatever, um, but, yeah, I don't know. This is a weird question. I don't um, – it's not a weird question. I don't have a lot of good answers or even a good answer for, for this one. Um, I don't know. It's hard, It's hard. It's hard for me to pick something out for this. It's like if you walk into a music store and you win a little contest and they're like, hey, guess what? You can go into our aisles and you can pull any album you want out. We'll give it to you for free. I would stand there for like two hours. Not being able to decide because I don't know what I want. Anyway, terrible mm. analogy. Um, <laughs> Bob, But your oh, I have this?
2: Yeah, because I, I, t- for me, this is now the opinion I have that I'm on a lonely island about, as opposed to I could rant about four million other things that I do every week. The opinion I have that isn't shared by many people, some, not many, I think Alan Moore is completely overrated and a hack. I just find it derivative. He just uses other people's characters over again and generally then complains and other people want to use the characters that he thinks are his that aren't anyway. The Watchmen, which are the Charlton characters and so on. Or using Dorothy Gale in his Lost Girls book in such a horrible, horrible way. I, here and there, has been there a story I liked? Yeah, for the most part, eh. <laughs> That's it for me. Alan Moore,
0: don't care. All right. All right.
4: Venomous.
3: Going yeah.
0: on over here. Aaron, do you have any answers for this question?
4: Game of Thrones. Don't care.
0: <laughs> Whoa. Well, I don't know that anybody cares about that final season, man. Woof.
4: It was too rapey.
0: That was. <laughs> well, it, it opened with
2: incest rape in the first 10 minutes. Yeah, that was that was, that was how you start.
4: There you go.
0: Jeez. Shots fired on Game of Thrones. Everyone's favorite family program. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's move on. Uh, Dick Grayson. Two-part question. Can you name couples in DC and Marvel you would like to make a rom-com about if you were given the chance to make a TV show? Crime fighting would be done off screen. He says for DC, he picks Dick and Corey. And for Marvel, he picks Peter and MJ. So both fine choices. Yes. Yes. Uh, so I have one, two, three, four, five. I've I have five for me, and one honorary for Mister Brichino, since he's not here. So should I should I read my five or is that too many? Sure.
4: That's four more than I have. All
0: right. I'll let yeah, you, I'm going to let you guys go first. <laughs> so okay. that I don't, I don't cover the spread and spoil okay. your, your stuff. Okay, Aaron, go Yeah, go. go ahead, Aaron.
4: All right, mine is going to be a thruple.
0: Oh, if you pick mine,
4: I'm going to be so excited slash, slash pissed. Nope, it's going to be Cyclops and Wolverine. Ah! <laughs> because, let's just be honest, Jean Grey was just in the way. Oh! <laughs> and the third would be... Colossus, because apparently it's a little little sex island over there on Cocoa according to recent issues.
0: Oh, I saw that that panel that you were talking about when they're in the the hot spring (laughs) and they're talking about Colossus package.
4: I'm like, what the what? But that's that's my pick.
0: Amazing. All right, Bob, what do you got?
4: Well, on the DC side
2: of things, the correct answer is, of course, Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy. Oh, that's a good
3: one. Oh, I I think that, one. Of, that is a
2: good and, one. And as a, as a TV show, I want a more romantic version of Two Broke Girls, something like that. Something really sassy.
3: <laughs>
2: but I also I also want it as a comic book, and it should be written and drawn by Stepan Cheich. Oh, hey, you might get your wish. You never know. I might get my wish with that one. On the Marvel side of things, I want... So I've never seen this show, so I, I, but I, I sort of know what it's about and how good it apparently is by awards. I want a modern family kind of thing with Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, Danny Rand, and Misty Knight.
3: Ooh, that could be fun. <laughs>
2: yep. And the comic version of that would have to be written by Jeremy Whitley with art by Elsa Chartier. Ah, oh, there you go. Now, speaking of Mr. Whitley, he has an answer for this question. <laughs> and he says Danny Rand and Misty Knight for sure also Luke and Jessica I don't know what's going on with them right now but Billy and Teddy would be great too Indeed. And, and DC he says yeah Harley and Ivy is the first thing that comes to mind Dick and Corey would be fun I'd like to write a rom-com with Wonder Woman as the lead just because it seems like we would be very hard to do well and that's the stuff I'm drawn to oh parts of Mr. Miracle were basically that already but Mr. Miracle and Big Barda would make a great rom-com
0: oh, i
2: also yeah. i also at one point pitched doing a romance between batwoman and catwoman and that story may only ever live on my computer but i love it oh man these are all good ideas yep. he yeah he also man. yes he also had an answer for our question a week ago about the three artists who make him happy and it's chris Bocciolo uh rostein and ted brandt and guri hero so thank you jeremy
0: sweet Jason, uh, oh, is,
4: Jason Todd and Dick Grayson. Hmm. that could be interesting. Mm-hmm. Bat, fa- Bat family on the run. <laughs> you
0: know. Okay, uh. so you want my answers? Yes. Okay, I want a Constantine and Zatanna rom-com. I think nice. that could be that could be something pretty special. Uh, I want a Diana Prince and Steve Trevor rom-com as you, uh, you were saying. a classic. Yeah. Uh, Hulkling and Wiccan I have on my list. Jessica Drew and Roger Gocking, I think, with, with the baby. I think would baby be... Baby Jerry. Yeah, yes. I think that would be adorable to to have uh, Jessica be the, you know, the new mom and still trying to, to do her superheroing and Roger missing the life, but loving the kid and, you know, all that stuff. Uh, and I also had the Wolverine, Scott, and Jean uh trio if you will i would love to see the three of them in a in a rom-com i'm getting a little bit of that in uh in the x books here and there and uh it is always quite delicious when it uh when it comes up
4: i think we're learning that all that tension between scott and uh logan had nothing to do with gene mm -hmm. don't you know it yeah all i'm saying
0: uh, and uh, for for old Mister Ricino, who uh, who has the week off, I'm gonna throw a Bucky and Natasha rom com out there for our friend, because I you know you know for a fact that he would uh, he would say something like that, and probably some characters from Wicked and Divine too. I would oh, I would that imagine. could that could be wild, yeah, yeah, that could be real cool. Um, oh, man, I can I never know how to pronounce the name. Amaratsu or something like that. Yeah. All right. Um, oh, and there's a there's a uh, there's a follow up over here. Uh, we were discussing this off air before, and I think we arrived at a conclusion, or we're still not sure. But um, Dick Grayson also asks, "Who is the Kiss of Death character now dating Renee Montoya?" Um, I'll say that I only know this character from Rucka's recent Lois Lane. Uh, maxi-series, uh, b- but, Bob, uh, I don't know, Bob. <laughs> well, I, because when she showed up in
2: issue number was seven, I think, seven or eight, in Greg Ruckus series, I went, okay, it seems as if we should know who this, per- who this person is. Nothing really mattered as the series went on, but that Kiss of Death character is Alicia Sanchez, who dates back to a new, uh, a 52- offshoot miniseries called the crime bible five lessons of blood was the issue she was in <laughs> no okay it's a great looking character but the thing is, when you first look at, at, at a panel with that character characters wow everyone seems to know who she is i don't know who she is but yes she is actually the kiss of death that's her name and she does bad things she was sent to assassinate our gal lois that's no good. No. Man, By the series. way, that is, a, that is a great Maxi series that everyone should read.
0: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely loved, loved that series, uh, reading that earlier in the year. Spectacular. Okay. My God. <laughs> I think that we actually get to talk about what we're looking forward to on the shelves this week, and then we can get out of here.
4: Uh, Aaron, what are you picking up? Uh, let's see. Where's my list? Okay, there it is. So, yeah, I read through, uh, Aquaman 58 through 61. So I guess I'm gonna pick up 62 that I think came out, uh, well, time travel this week. Today. Uh, yeah. yes, today. Uh, I think there's a Wonder Woman annual coming out. Yes. Yeah. Captain Marvel 20, Thor number six. And uh, I got a I got an asterisk next to Excalibur number eleven, but probably Excalibur number eleven.
0: Mm, there was a pretty it was a pretty sweet final page of the last issue.
4: Yeah. So I'm like uh, I gotta I gotta keep going.
0: I know I'm probably gonna keep going too. And
4: then I got a couple of things on my uh, quarantine list that I'm pulling from as well. I got a Walt Simonson Fantastic Four here that I forgot that I got from a. You had a good run. From a, from one of the cons, and I found his the other day, so I'm like, yeah, let me put that on the top of my stack.
2: So his his, his run will become very important once the Loki series comes out.
4: Hmm, interesting. Mm-hmm. Just saying,
2: mm-hmm. uh, Bob, what you Captain up? Marvel number twenty, Captain America twenty two, that Wonder Woman annual, Aquaman sixty two, which isn't Kelly Sue; she's off for two issues, but it does look very interesting. I have the long-awaited print copies of Star No. 4 and Jane Foster no- Valkyrie Number no. 10. <laughs> so I have now bought them digitally. I am buying these because I pre-ordered them before, and because I didn't know these were coming out, I have pre-ordered the trade paperbacks that collect these issues. So while I appreciate the books are, are coming out, I get to read them. Uh, it's a, a, an expense I didn't need, but what the heck, it supports my store. I wouldn't stiff them. The most interesting thing of the week is a little pocket-sized book called Quotable Giant
3: Days.
2: (gasps) I was wondering what that was. Yes, which has new art as well as old stuff and bits and pieces, sort of a greatest hits, quippy remembrance of all that is Giant Days.
3: Hmm.
0: Okay. It's a nice list. All right, let's see here. I've got uh, Once in Future, number 10, Batman. (laughs) Say that with such excitement. (laughs) I don't mean to be a dick. I just – you want to talk about a hate read right now. uh, Batman is definitely on my my hate reading list. Uh, Wonder Woman, Dead Earth, the final issue, uh, number four coming out. Uh, I've not read it since Issue 1 after Joey <laughs> derailed me from reading Issue 2. So I'll just read the whole thing in one go and, and, and see what comes out. Um, Ludocrats, number 4. Cable, number 3. Captain Marvel, number 20. Is that correct? Yes. Yep. Wow. Didn't we just get a Captain Marvel? Yes, it's right in front of me, as we speak. <laughs> Jeez. Uh Wolverine, number 4. And... Um, just arrived in my mailbox on Monday I picked up uh Victoria Ying's new graphic novel called City of Secrets ooh yeah uh here's a little bit of the uh the blurb on the back uh Ever Barnes is a shy orphan gor- guarding 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 a secret in an amazing puzzle box of a building most of the young women who work at the building's switchboard operating facility, which connects the whole city to Oscar, look the other way as Ever roams around in the shadows. But one of them, Lisa, keeps an eye on the boy. So does the head of the switchboard. Uh, so does the head of the switchboard, Madame Alexandra, a rather sharp eye. Anyway, it goes on from there. It's a really long synopsis. Um, this looks very steampunky, very almost like Miyazakian. And it is quite it's it's a it's a beefy, meaty book, so this is not like a this is like a sit down and grab a cup of tea kind of uh graphic novel and it just looking at it, it looks absolutely gorgeous. So, um almost like a like a French um influence to it. Um oh god, who is that French artist? I'm not gonna think of their name. I'll figure it out. Uh, Julie Richelieu? No. No? No. Um, I think, you know what? I think I'm confusing it with somebody that I follow on Instagram. There's somebody who does storyboards for Disney that uh, that I follow. I think it's uh, their name is The Animated Life on Instagram. Go and check out their stuff. It's incredible. Uh, this is a little reminiscent of that. So, anyway, I'll have more for you. Uh, I hopefully get to read this between now and the next podcast, uh, and we'll talk about it. Next time. Um, yeah. So there you have it. Uh, Bob, would you care to take this time to uh, talk about your recent uh, other podcast spot, your your Moonlighting?
2: Yes. I, I was invited to join the Ladies of Valhalla, well, two of the three of them, as Bronwyn was gishing. Hmm. So Sarah and Jess and I take a goodly amount of time to discuss the Gail Simone run of Wonder Woman. And that goes into all sorts of other places in her history, and it was just an amazing conversation we had. The ladies are stiller at what they do, and I was honored to be there.
0: Very cool. Uh, Do you know when that hits the uh, old Internet? I believe all.
2: if sarah can get all i don't know four hours we did edit it down oh my into, god really it was it was three hours and some change i do believe foof but this i won't all be there when we're done because i ramble like a madman so i i do believe it's due friday okay as their shows usually are
0: all right well be on the lookout for that um definitely follow ladies of valhalla on uh twitter and facebook and instagram and all that good stuff um, I'm trying to think. Aaron, do you have anything? Any closing statements? I'll
4: arrest the cops that killed Brianna Taylor.
0: Pff, hell yeah! Nice. Um, wow. There's, that's a. I don't know how to pivot from that. <laughs> I just want to thank David Pepos again for coming <laughs> onto the show and talking to us about the OZ. Congratulations to David and his team on their tremendous success with that so far. Can't wait to see uh, where that ends up at the end, what the total is by the end of the uh, Kickstarter run. I uh, I gotta get me I gotta get me some of that. I gotta figure out that glitch. Might have to email them. Anyway. Uh, we've reached the end of this week's edition of the Talking Comics Podcast. As always, you can send us your comments or questions through our email, podcast at talkingcomicbooks.com. We are also on Twitter at Talking Comics. We've also got TalkingComicBooks.com, where you can find reviews and features from our fantastic contributors. Uh, if you like podcasts, why not go and check out Talking Valiant, D&D Adventure, and the ladies of Valhalla. Bob, where can our listeners find you?
2: Old-fashioned email, Bob Ryer at
4: TalkingComicBooks.com. Aaron? At Twitter, on, at Aaron J. Amos on Instagram, at AJAMOS70.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, Joey is at Joey Bertrino on Twitter. Sarah is at Geek Country Lady. Uh, Sarah, blah blah. Jessica, Jessica is at Jarska for all the. I'm, 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 I'm tired. Uh, Jessica's at Jarska Jessica for all the things. Bronwyn is of course Shiny Baby B, and I am at Dead Underscore Anchoress. So for Bob, thank you, Sarah. Thank you, Jess.
4: For Aaron, it's been real.
0: It has been real indeed. Thank you all so much for listening. Be excellent to each other. And until next time on the Talking Comics Podcast, to be continued.